welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Delapena. Slightly under the weather this week with just a slight head cold, but otherwise all is well because we've got Nate Hayes on the show this week in part one of a two-part interview with the USA correspondent from Emerging Cricket and somebody who wears many, many other hats as well, which we talk about throughout the show, but Nate, somebody who's a fellow East Coaster from Maryland originally, but now lives in the Raleigh-Durham area where he's heavily involved in affairs with the Triangle Cricket League. Talk an awful lot about our experiences as a couple of American guys trying to get into cricket and all the trials and tribulations that entails. But before we get to the interview with Nate, I want to remind everybody that the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Moose Cricket Stadium the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Moosa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. And one other reminder for this episode, apologies again, similar to the episode with Pubita Desanayaka. I somehow have mangled the Zoom settings so that you don't see both of us. You'll only see Nate Hayes if you are watching the YouTube version of this podcast. That is just a technical glitch on my end. I apologize for that. And now here is part one of the interview with Nate Hayes, USA correspondent at Emerging Cricket. Today's edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. We have one of my favorite people in the American cricket community <laughs> who also, for people who are not aware, somebody who was instrumental in helping to get my book published because he helped do the cover art where Ali Khan's photo was spliced and some other graphics were done textually. Nate Hayes. Nate, welcome to the podcast. Also, for people who don't know, Nate Hayes, U.S. contributor on Emerging Cricket. He does. He wears so many hats. Currently, he's wearing a Baltimore Orioles hat, but he wears a hell of a lot more hats than that. So, Nate, well, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Peter. It's um, I've, I've loved your content you know, for years since I started getting into cricket um, and your, and your podcast, your, your content is vast, um, especially this, this pod uh, content right now. So it's great. It's great to be a part of this. Well, thank you for, and, and the feeling is mutual. I'm a fan of the work that you do. <laughs> for people who are not aware, even though theoretically you are competing for different websites <laughs> we, we, we do not uh we, we do not uh, do battle when we when we meet in person or otherwise me and nate have a right fairly good running dialogue we get along quite well absolutely i think that's how it should be in a, in a healthy cricket ecosystem for sure ecosystem. for sure and th- you could throw you could throw smith in there too you know we all get along pretty ah, well smith i don't know <laughs> smith <laughs> <laughs> nah smith's a good guy we we do yeah we get along with smith i get along with i can't speak for you nate i'll say i get along with smith smith yeah me too, me I'll, too. I'll go to smith i'll go to five guys with smith i'll go to five guys with you we, we, yep. we can go to five guys we, we've had our five guys trips that's for sure yeah we need to we need to add a few more members to the u.s cricket media five guys fraternity hopefully it'll be growing stronger and stronger in the coming years absolutely so you're in Morrisville, based in Morrisville, for people who are not aware. I actually live in North Raleigh, but but yeah, I spend a lot of time in Morrisville. I work in Morrisville, and yeah, splitting hairs there. In the area. You're, you're ever-present in Morrisville. <laughs> so you live in North Raleigh, but you're part of the fabric of the North Carolina Cricket Community and Triangle Cricket League. And one of the reasons I've got you on is recent news that 
Morrisville Church Street Park is going to get a heavy investment to spruce up the facility and make it full of bells and whistles, hopefully leading up to the 2024 men's T20 World Cup. Yes, yes. I got my T20 World Cup <laughs> Triangle Cricket League shirt from 2018. Perfect. This is one of the few times in the U.S. or anywhere in the world, really, where there was actually event merchandise for a cricket right. event that I've ever been to. You know, you go to the India-West Indies matches in Florida. You go to USA-Ireland in Florida. You go to West Indies-Bangladesh. You go to CPL. Very, right. very hard to get your hands on any kind of merchandise as a, as a fan. I find right. that very distressing. And so when I saw these shirts being hawked, underneath the tent at church street park i said i gotta get my hands on one of those and it was a good thing i did because they were selling out i had to get this one yeah because they sold out of the white ones <laughs> I can't remember if they had a, one in a different color too but they were going thick and fast and that just shows how passionate right. people are at church street park so being right in the center of it all tell the people from your perspective what this recent news is going to mean for cricket in the community well, as, as you mentioned with the merchandise, uh, Church Street Park and the Morrisville community is right on the cutting edge of pretty much, you know, all cricket stuff in this country, be it merchandise, putting advertisements on the boundary ropes, thanks to Mar Mayor Mark Stolman's idea. Um, you had him on uh, as one of your guests. He's been incredible. He's somebody I really look up to and admire uh, how he get, gets things done and how much he cares. And because of people like Mark and people like Jana and people like Bobber in the T in TCL, I could go on naming a hundred people in TCL that make all this happen. But because of all of that, and because of, you know, the the town council, Satish, Steve Rao, all these guys uh, working together, getting things done, and just being passionate about this. Yeah. So what they've done is 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 they're they're building permanent seats, uh, stadium seating at Church Street Park, and because they tend to do a lot of things right there. They're leaving the hill, the berm that uh, people like to sit on. They're leaving that in place, which is great. I know that was tossed around a little bit, but yeah, there's gonna, they're, they're going to put about, uh, what is it, about 2,000 seats, uh, permanent seats in this in the venue that they're going to fit into various areas. Um, mostly those would be on the northwest side, just, just, to the, just to the west of the site screen. Uh, on the south, on the west, southwest side, yeah, pretty much just about square there. So basically, um, sorry. Then, so if, if the frame of reference is the parking lot. Yeah. So are the seats going to be, the permanent seats going to be on that side of the ground or on the opposite side of the there, ground? There, there's going to be some at the parking lot end, right on the other. So you've got the hill and then you have the, the side screen and then you'll have the stadium seats. And then you'll have a, a gap. And then obviously the bathroom area where, where they have an overhang and now when they have a lot of picnic benches, that's stay in put, which is excellent. Uh, then a little bit to your left there, you have a, a little gap right now and they're putting uh, tall seats up there. And then on the South end, you're going to have the dugouts on the West side of the South end. And then on the East side of the South end, so the West nice side would be, road. sorry to cut in would the be, West, the West side would be the church street side of the ground. The, the West side being the playground side of the ground. And then the street side, the church street road church street side would be, would have along the south part of the ground there'll be a nice uh collection of seats right there which is a great place to sit in, on a hot day because that's where the trees give you lots of those very tall pine trees give a lot of shade down there so that's that's great and then the hill remains intact which is everybody's favorite favorite place to to watch as it is right now you know everybody loves sitting on that hill get a great vantage point 
but yeah, so the, the stadium seating will be great because, you know, the hill, you, you can't really sit there if it's been too wet. You can't really sit on the hill. Also, we found out during the minor league championship weekend, <laughs> you can't sit on the hill if you're not a VIP. If, if you right, didn't they get a VIP ticket. Some people are very upset about that. It's the prime location mm-hmm. to watch, and they made it reflected in the the appointment right. of the VIP tent there. Oh, right. All the, all the diehards who were looking forward to go sit on the hill, they were vacated from the premises to make room for the VIPs. I'm not sure how difficult it was to get in the VIP area. I'm not well, sure. Well, how Smith got in there. So Smith got Smith in, was in there. that hard. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I saw Alvin in there and then I saw Smith in there. So it's like, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it looks like they really do, did a great job with the plan. The lot to the south of the venue, um, which is opposite of the, the current parking lot, is going to be developed for, for um, some more additional parking. Now, not, there won't ever be enough parking for, you know, if they want to get, three four thousand fans in there there won't ever be enough parking right there for that but it's very well you've walkable. got you've got wake tech there's the wake tech kind of satellite yeah. lot that's what it happened there's a walmart even... and a, yeah, yeah there's a walmart and a sam's club and all these you know there's there's places where that's where they shuttle people in from now plus i would guess right now half the people that come to those games they live within 15 minute 20 minute walk and so they you know, there's a lot of paths they can take to, to get there. And that's really nice. I mean, that was one of my favorite things in 2018 when we had the uh, T20 qualifier was seeing all the fans come uh, through, you know, walking down a path through the woods to, to show up to the game and then leaving the same way. Now, it's just such a it's such I mean, I love venues like that. Like when people talk about grounds they really want to see, I always think about the, the community grounds like uh, grounds that are that mean something for a community. And those are the grounds I'd like to see. You know, Church Street is is as good as it gets as far as that goes. Just about in any any sport, I can't imagine anything is good, you know. <laughs> are you concerned at all that some of these alterations might take away some of the charm of the venue that is in its current state? I was worried about that. And to me, the big thing was got to keep that that hill. Got to keep the hill intact was the big thing. And then also it is a public park. So uh, it's got that track that goes around, the walking track that goes all the way around it. That's going to remain. Uh, the, the, the people of the town will still be able to utilize the park. It's a great place to go, go for a walk. It's a great place. There's a little playground there, which they might have to move that in the future. But right now, the plan is that it stays, in, stays intact. There's a tennis court that's still in the plans to stay there. This is a very highly u- utilized park for you know, non-cricket things. So they, the city does a great job, I think, of... You know, they really made something that people can enjoy. Even if you're not into cricket, people are there and they'd love it and it's beautiful. So um, that's nice that they've kept all those things in place. And I think they did a really, if you're going to put permanent seats there, uh, they did it in a way that doesn't commercialize the ground too much, that doesn't take away the, the local charm, in my, in my opinion. What is the general level of, I guess, excitement amongst you, your friends in the cricket community, other people you interact with about the prospect that now that these alterations are going to be made, that this could be not just a potential venue for hosting matches at the T20 World Cup in two years, but almost a certainty that this venue is going to host matches for the T20 World Cup. Well, there's a little bit of caution. Uh, There are plenty of people who know better than to fully get their hopes up. <laughs> if you've been plugged into cricket in this country for any extended period of time, you're like you always say, I'll believe it when I see it. Church Street Park is the obvious choice 
to make it into to make a uh, World Cup venue. It's an obvious choice, but well, but. I mean, you don't you don't want to count your chickens <laughs> before you catch because people yeah. who have a short memory. All you have to do is go back to 2019 to remember that right. Church Street Park was actually supposed to host the first ODIs on American yeah. soil. That first tri series that was assigned to USA, and then magically, after it being announced in May 2019 by the ICC that Church Street Park was going to be the host venue for USA's first tri series in this Cricket World Cup League Two, magically, all of a sudden, a few months later, they pulled the the, the rug out from on you guys, and it was shifted back yeah. to Florida. Yeah, and that's that's something that I think that sort of thing people are kind of used to, and people want the ground to be utilized at the international level and at the national level, and so people here are proud of the ground; they want to showcase the ground. Um, so yeah, that's something I I think people most people are very excited about it, but there's always there it's always counterweighted by um, the reality, you know, the the history um, of how many times have we had people who are in a position of decision making just discover this ground for the first time a year after somebody else just discovered the ground i mean these, there should be at this point there should be no just discovering church street park it should be like it's been well discovered so um i think that's a big a big that's a little bit of a concern I, everybody kind of feels like you know it's obvious if you've ever been to this ground it's an obvious choice especially when they're putting permanent seats in now and all these other things and the this, the town has really committed to it so it would be, oh my gosh, it would be worse than Indianapolis. It, it would be bad. If they didn't pick it, it would be a, it would be a sin, basically. But um, I think they will, just because really, if you just look at the numbers, if you just look at the math of it, where else are they going to have the games in, in 2024? You know, if, if Major League Cricket is already, is already saying that they're probably going to play games there, um, which you know they're not going to have enough venues ready for it in 2023, What's another year? I mean, um, how many possibilities are possible are going to pop up in 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 just a couple of years' time? So it's it's kind of obvious that it's probably going to be a, a venue. It should be a venue, and really, I mean, look at look at there's there's some people talk about oh well, well they can put it in a baseball stadium. Ugh, that's such a bad idea, and you and I have talked about that quite a bit. There's really only a couple places they could even do it in the whole country, and even that it would be way less than ideal. You know, when it comes to cricket, a lot of it, I think we all know a lot of cricket is we like watching the nice venues. You like to see if, if it's not if it can't be an old an old historic place like Lords, then all these great grounds in, in New Zealand are, are you know beautiful where people can sit in the grass. And just it's part of cricket is, is a ground like like Church Street Park. It really is. I mean, it's a it's a cricket ground. It really feels like like that to me. Well, and then to kind of piggyback on that point. I have never quite understood this obsession with chasing this mystical, imaginary fantasy fan base that doesn't exist. Or oh, if we build 10,000 seat venue X in state Y or city Z, whatever, yeah. that, oh, you know, we're going to all of a sudden, almost, all of a sudden magically out of the, you know, there's going to be 10,000, 15,000 cricket fans that are going to fall out of the sky. And that's the reason why people haven't shown up is because oh, they didn't have this grand stadium venue, this palatial right, uh, right. welcome mat rolled out to welcome teams and welcome fans in. All you have to do is look at Waterhill to know yeah, that <laughs> if you if you build something like that, there's no guarantee that people are going to show up. There's and no guarantee, yeah. I've made made that comparison, you know, Steve Smith, they say, oh, well, it's because they don't have enough big stars. You can't expect people to show up to watch USA. 
and you need big stars. Well, you had Andre Russell and Steve Smith play each other in a CPL match in 2018. What more could you want than that, you know? And yeah, well, as a cricket fan. well, obviously, people did want more, apparently, because only <laughs> 700 people showed up. <laughs> right. And yet... Okay, there's all, oh, we got to go to Waterhill. We got we got to go to Dallas. We got to go to San Francisco because oh, there's Silicon Valley, Indian money, blah, blah, blah. So many fans. They, they're reluctant to travel outside of California because it, is, it just costs time. And, give me a break. People who travel from San Francisco are the ones who fly to Lourdes or fly, they flew to Manchester to watch the World Cup match between Indian Pakistan and Manchester at Old Trafford. Or they flew to Adelaide during the 20. 20- 15 world cup you know that, people from san francisco that wasn't an issue to fly to adelaide it wasn't an issue to fly to, to manchester but uh geez, you're gonna fly to yeah flying to water hill geez it was, uh, it was too too much to hack trying to fly to water hill but so all these games in florida where nobody shows up to and the excuses after excuses after excuses and other cities other venues uh the excuses you got a whole laundry list of excuses oh why oh this didn't work oh it's because of this because of that oh they didn't do this they didn't do that and then Morrisville with Church Street Park opens up and you don't have West Indies. You don't have CPL. You don't right. have Andre yeah. Russell. You don't have Steve Smith. Yeah. You don't have uh, Sunil yeah. Narani, Kyron Pollard. You don't have draw cards. Again, you know, mm-hmm. 2018, the last year, the CPL, only 2,200 people showed up to watch roughly the Trinbago Knight Riders, which is the biggest drawing team in the CPL for a lot of reasons. Right. Only two, mm-hmm. just over 2,000 people showed up to the game they played down there. Yeah, with, with huge international stars. And yet later that summer, just a few months later in North Carolina with guys in USA and Canada uniforms on who, with the exception of Ali Khan and Hamza Tariq at the time, weren't attracting offers from franchise leagues. Somehow Morrisville attracts more than 2000 people, 2,500 people to yeah. a T20 World Cup qualifier match. So to get to bring the point full circle, I don't understand what the obsession is in terms of chasing fans who don't exist in these other cities and other venues. Right. Why would you not show faith in a venue that already has proof of concept instead of this mythical fan base that you don't know whether or not they're actually going to show up, but you've got proof in Morrisville people show up. doesn't matter if it's (laughs) Brad Coley or if it's Jasper on Malhotra or Ali Khan or Steven Taylor. Or Hamza and a lot they, of, they show up, and that's what they, you and want. They know what they're, and they know what they're watching. One of the things that impressed me back then, mm-hmm. um, and I'm having a memory of it now, is walking around through the crowd uh, in 2018 at the World Cup qualifier. And this was the first Canada game. And it was Canada batted second that game. So uh, remember Canada, um, Rizwan Chima hit a six to send it into super overs. So um, in the first innings, I was walking through, and the, as you know, the crowd there grows as the night goes on because a lot of people are playing their games. Um, and then as soon as their games are done, they, they're, them and their team and their families show up to the Church Street Park. But in the first innings, I was walking around, and I heard a guy that I had played cricket with talking to sitting with his buddies, and he was talking to them, and, they, and, they, and he said to them, you know, um, Rizwan Chima's in the game today. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's great. And, you know, they knew who he was because, you know, he obviously he had played in the World Cup in the past and things like that. So he had been on TV before or whatever. But it was cool to, to be walking around and hearing people saying the names of play, Canada players or USA players. You know, I didn't expect that, to be honest. 
but but uh obviously everybody everybody was happy to meet ali khan had just hit the scene that summer remember he bowled well in the gt20 and he bowled even better in the cpl uh and they won the championship just a couple just a week or so before that happened literally days they got off the plane yeah him and Hamza, yeah. they got off the plane at midnight coming i picked them up <laughs> <laughs> I, I picked them up it was uh and i definitely not as you I but was, you know the plane landed after midnight it wasn't just yeah you. They, had, they had a couple dozen people there with signs yeah, not, yeah. not just for ali khan was on right. that point it wasn't just for ali khan that they had u.s flags they had canada oh. flags and canada banners for hamza tari we, we made several we made several trips at tcl i made a few of them but there were other people who went every time and uh, they deserve a lot of credit because they do this regularly. But um, and I like to go and pick the guys up from the airport too because it's fun to talk to to you know the players and they're not used to that kind of support. So so yeah, I mean we made several trips, especially a lot of the other guys made several trips. Mayor Mayor Mark, he was out there coordinating the trips. We would meet up, and we would ride together. Um, so that only one person would have to pay for, you know, only a couple of people would have to pay for parking at the, at the airport and we'd all get out. Everybody would have a sign flag, whatever. We handed out American flags, mayor, uh, Mark and Jana and a couple other guys, uh, organized that stuff and coordinated on WhatsApp about that. And they did do that when these when these types of events, events happen here. And it's important for us to show people that we care that you're coming here. You know, it's important for them to, to show that to, to people. So it's really impressive to me how much people care and they take pride. And really, it's like it's, it's people taking pride in the community. It's people taking pride in something that they own that's theirs. And, uh, you know, that's that's humongous. And like you said, just because you build it, it's not going to come just because you build it. You can't turn your nose up at um, the Morrisville community. You cannot look, you, you know, eventually, you know, yeah, you can, you can think, oh, wow, this is a great sign of great things that are coming in the USA. It's a great sign of Morrisville is what it is. Uh, sometimes people will, they might see that as just the start. No, imagine if we do something over in this community. Well, it falls short. Morrisville is the place where it's always going to work. And I mean, if you took a Morrisville type of ground and you plopped it down in New Jersey or in like uh, Queens, it would be fantastic. It would be phenomenal also. I think it really would do wonderful things. So I think it depends on where the venue is going to be. It depends on the community, how many people there play. But in Morrisville, it's just because it's a quality situation. The people involved are quality and they care. And they got, you know, I mean, Morrisville isn't New York City. People have time to care here. You know, they have a little bit of, uh, of more free time than they would have in other other parts of the country. You almost segued perfectly into kind of a follow up point I was going to make about that, how it's not New York City, almost in a good way. People think of New York City yeah. as being the center of the universe. At least I certainly did when I was growing up. In, in New <laughs> I have been to JFK Airport when a USA men's national team has gotten ready to fly off to a World Cricket League tournament. And I'm the only person there to see the team because I was covering the team. Nobody knows who the hell they are. Nobody cares. Nobody's there to right. see them off. Forget not just the fans, their own wives, moms, their family members. Nobody wants to send them. It's like, <laughs> you get yourself to the airport. I don't care. Like, go, get a, get off, go on the plane. Yeah, that's a, that's a shame. That's a real shame, you know. But I, I'm, what's going through my head is, right, yeah, this is a USA national team there should be a certain level of respect afforded to them. And in New York, where you think you've got this big sports 
culture, predominantly pro sports culture, but still a big sports culture in general. And if word gets out, certain teams are coming in, certain teams are running, depending on the situation, they will get a reception if, if it's, a, you know, the Giants coming back after winning the Super Bowl, or the Yankees coming back, winning the World Series, whatever, or other situations, um, whatever it may be. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, whether it's USA going off to a cricket tournament, departing out of JFK, and nobody's there to see them off or greet them on arrival, or what's now going through my head is all this fanfare that's going to be building up for the 2024 T20 World Cup. And if somehow there is a New York venue, I doubt there will be. Uh, there's all these, again, mythical discussions about pop-up stadium in Central Park. I think that's a complete pipe dream. But more than likely, I mean, you're going to have Waterhill, Morrisville, if the Air Hogs Stadium actually gets going in the right direction with the renovations in Dallas and then potentially sure. Los Angeles or San Francisco could be one other venue, whatever. But you think about that. And, you know, major cities, if teams are flying into Miami or if they're flying into Dallas or potentially San Francisco and they come into the airports in these cities, there's a strong chance nobody's going to be there to greet them. Unless, yeah. With the exception of maybe the Indian team or the Pakistan team. The world will get oh, out. Of course. Fans yeah, will yeah, find that, out what yeah. flight team's on and they'll come to the airport or, because they, yeah. they want autographs and selfies and all that 100%. kind of stuff. But yeah. you're not expecting that for Zimbabwe. You're not expecting that for Ireland or even to a lesser extent, say Sri Lanka or, you know, a couple of the other teams. And what's going through my mind is how blown away and how totally caught off guard will some of these teams be? And and it goes for the full members all the way down to the associates. If you've got six or eight or 10 associates participating in an expanded T20 World Cup in 2024, where it doesn't matter if it's the Netherlands or USA Mm -hmm. or um, Scotland, if they're assigned matches, in Morrisville, and they they land in the airport in Raleigh after having potentially arrived in New York on a connecting flight to enter the U.S. in the first place, or Dallas, and then and and nobody cares, and then they get to Raleigh airport, and there's 20, 50, 100 people from TCL with signs and flags and this huge greeting, and they'll be like, why the hell didn't we get this in New York? Why the hell didn't we get this in Miami? Why didn't we get this in Dallas? That, what the hell's going to happen? And why didn't <laughs> and and why didn't we come to Marsville sooner? Why why yeah. why did they let us wait this long to come to Mars? Why couldn't we get our, all of our games assigned here? Yeah, I I agree with you, and you know, hopefully they will get all their games assigned here for that reason. Like I I kind of hope that we get all of those kind of games. That would be terrific. I mean, honestly, because if, if they're not going to put India here, it doesn't have nearly the the. I mean, if they did, it they would be a net. It would be a, a. They'd have to declare a state of emergency at the ground. Just the <laughs> there would be eighty thousand people at the ground trying to get in, or thirty thousand, or however many. But it it would be insane. But we don't need that. We you know we're going to support whatever whatever games they end up having here. It'll be it'll be amazing. And that and, and just gonna, I think that that's part of again why it's so special, is the mm-hmm. fact that. And this is not unique to the USA. Other cities in England during the World Cup in 2019, in Australia, New Zealand, yeah, you put India somewhere, you put Pakistan somewhere, you're going to get a sellout or close to it. You don't have to worry right. about those teams. But if Afghanistan is playing a game in Perth, or Ireland is playing a game in Adelaide in a 50,000 seat venue, or you know, an Afghanistan played in Leeds, I went to Afghanistan, West Indies, and the place was half empty and you could basically name your price for a ticket if you wanted to walk in. I mean, it was a low, right. cheap, cheap seats get in and situations like that. Again, not to be disrespectful to Marsville. Yeah. They're, they're not going to get India games. Yeah. They're going to try and if 
Water Hill or Dallas is the highest capacity venue. They're going to want to put indie games in the highest capacity venues. Having said that, if you put Ireland or Zimbabwe or the Netherlands or Scotland in those venues, nobody's going to show up, realistically speaking. Whereas if you put those same teams in Marsville, yeah. if they expand yeah. the capacity to 3,500, as was announced, with mm-hmm. the permanent seats and temporary seats, they'll sell out. People will show Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Because that's 100%. the spirit of the cricket community. And I think it would be a significant moment for the teams playing there right. to take part in that and to realize, oh my God, like this community doesn't just you know, love India or love Pakistan as the narrative sometimes goes in and stereotype fairly on and fairly. That's how a lot of places are not, like I said, not just in the USA, but around the world. This right. place loves cricket period. Yeah. And it's true. Like we've talked about before, there are a lot of people who call themselves cricket fans. They are fans of India or they're fans of Pakistan, but, but, you know, and yeah, they're fans of Pakistan cricket or India cricket, but, but here people are fans of cricket in, in general. And um, I mean, obviously how many times do we have to really prove that? I mean, we had a good showing for the minor league finals weekend for each game. We had a great showing for the USA versus Canada games, especially the second one. And when everyone heard about what happened in the first one. So yeah, 4,000 fans or 3,500 fans or whatever at church street park is going to look like 20,000 fans in a 20,000 fan stadium. I mean, it's going to feel like the same, you know, it's like, it's like when you're, when you play a basketball game at Duke and, and, you know, it's, you can you can play a basketball game in Syracuse and have four times more people and it feels empty you know <laughs> and whereas in Duke you know when it's full it's it, it, you know there may as well be 50,000 people in there so it's kind of the same with with Church Street Park like that venue is going to look amazing on TV with a full crowd there uh, no matter how many people that full crowd e- equals it's going to look like the Rose Bowl you know it's going to be packed so uh, we'll even get the, the sweeping sunset just after halftime at the innings break, just perfect. like they do with the Rose Bowl. Get, yeah. get, we need to get Brent Musburger out of the <laughs> radio booth. Bring Brent Musburger down. <laughs> you are looking live at Church Park. Yeah, there we go. We'll get a blimp up there. We'll get a Goodyear blimp overhead. Uh, yeah, it's uh, actually that would, they can't put a blimp there. An airplane would hit it. Yeah, that can't. <laughs> I can't. But if USA really wants to do it to do something, something special, I think that they could really boost them in the World Cup. I think they should open up at whoever makes the schedule. I know I'm sure. I don't know how biased or unbiased these schedules end up being, but whoever makes the schedule, USA's first game, Church Street Park. That's how you want to introduce the country to the World Cup. USA's in the World Cup in 2024, and you open USA's schedule with a game at Church Street Park. You're going to see a lot of USA fans there. People will be cheering for USA at home, and that will send a message to, you know, if that's if that's if half the country sees cricket for the very first time on TV and that's what they see, uh, or, you know, on replays or in the news or whatever, and they see a USA crowd supporting a USA team, that's going to send a great message. Whereas if you, if they end up in uh, Lauder Hill playing against, uh, uh, or even in the West Indies playing against, say their first game is in Lauder Hill and they're playing the West Indies or something. Yeah, that's, that's not a good idea. Uh, <laughs> you know, like you want to have more USA fans there. You know, More realistically, they're going to be pr- probably in the opening round uh, against, associate team associate team yeah that's the one yeah do it there they could be playing around yeah new guinea they could be playing against namibia netherlands yeah you put that match in a water hole realistically speaking who's going to show up put it in a bad idea 
Different story. Put it in Morrisville. It'll be full, and everyone will be a USA fan. You put them against Namibia in US in Morrisville, you'll have 3,500 fans cheering for USA. Will everybody will be very polite and very cool, and they'll still pick up the Namibian guys and they'll still cheer for them individually and things like that. But people will be cheering for USA. Parag Marate, USA Cricket Board Chairman, you better be listening. I hope you're listening Tune to what he just said. Parag, Tune in. Jeff Allardyce with the ICC, William Glenwright with the ICC, you better be listening to this because yeah, they- the 49ers are done. Listen to this podcast now. <laughs> Nate is giving you free consulting advice here that you would charge hundreds or thousands of dollars an hour for a, a McKinsey consultant to give you the same information. So I hope I hope you're taking that on board. You Nate, know, I hope they've already I've already I hope they've already thought this honestly. I hope that they're already there. That they're like, yeah, we're three steps ahead of you. You know, that's what I hope. Fingers crossed. Now, <laughs> we'll put the talk on. Church Street Park and Morrisville on, on pause for a little bit. Get back. Now, we've, we've had half hour plus of very solid cricket chat with two dopey Americans is what how people are going to, some people are going to be observing <laughs> this. Who, who are these two moronic, idiotic Americans? Talking about a North Carolina town. Yeah. East Coast <laughs> accents and all this nonsense, talking cricket like they actually know something about the sport. So right. it wasn't always this way. You weren't always this passionate about cricket, and neither was I. So right. for people who don't know about your backstory you were originally from maryland mm-hmm. and you grew up there played ncaa baseball you went to right. uh, university of maryland eastern shore where you played baseball right. there so growing up in maryland and and for for people this is this is a special bond me and nate share we're, we're two giants fans for slightly different reasons i grew up in new jersey different reasons nate has, has a very special connection to one special player in New York Giants history. And that's how he became a Giants fan in a way. But growing up in Maryland, what were your first sports memories like? How did you get into sports? Was baseball your first love or was it something else? And what are some of the other kind of sports memories that you had growing up outside of the cricket ecosystem? Well, I grew up originally in Prince George's County, not far from College Park, Maryland, uh, where my dad worked in the athletic department at University of Maryland. So my first introduction to sports was college sports, the Maryland Terrapins. So, you know, my dad, he was very involved with the athletic department there. He ended up being the compliance officer, the NCAA compliance officer, which is not a job that anybody should aspire towards. When I was at at Creighton, that was the one guy in the athletic department everybody tried to avoid. Nobody wanted to be anywhere near. Grace was his name. You're in a tough spot in that job. You know, he did other jobs before that. You know, so he was there uh, in the 80s. And so I got to, I remember when Walt Williams was playing there and he was like a phenomenal player. And I remember, you know, being like eight or nine years old, shooting baskets on the court at Coalfield house, right. As the players were warming up for practice and, you know, some of the better players would get there way early and just shoot and shoot and shoot. But uh, I remember that. And I didn't think much of it. I didn't think about how special and how cool that was, but, uh, but yeah, so I've always been really into sports pretty much because my dad was really into sports, but my dad and my mom split when I was younger and so I lived with my mom of course and I always wanted to play sports but it was tough to get it was tough to make that work so finally when I was 11 I loved baseball I used to go to Orioles games Uh, my very first favorite player was Eddie Murray and that was the first game I remember I ever went to I remember cheering Eddie Eddie when he was there and he was just he's the coolest guy you know he's just incredibly cool he hit from he hit bombs from both sides of the plate so <laughs> um and then it was Cal Ripken after that 
uh, Kyle Ripken was became my favorite player. But um, but yeah, so watching sports. Finally, I played got to play baseball when I was about ten or eleven years old because we lived in a community that had a great base that had a community rec council that I could just walk to the I could literally play my games at the same place that I went to school. So I would I would go home from I would practice there after school and then I would go home and you know so it was finally got able to play baseball because of that community center and then my mom got remarried we moved to the eastern shore of Maryland because she married a waterman a waterman for those who don't know somebody who crabs catches crabs for a living in the summer and catches oysters in the winter it's a really tough life Uh, I have a lot of respect for people who do that and then I went to high school there I was always a small kid I shot up like a foot in my well not like a foot like 10 inches or so in my junior year or so somewhere around that but I was always really small so because I moved from PG County which has big schools with excellent sports teams and then I moved to the lower eastern shore of Maryland small school I got a chance to play even when before I got good (laughs) but that's what helped me get better at and then I actually got lucky with my scholarship Um, I had a partial scholarship to play baseball at UMES Um, And I got lucky because the coach there was good friends with my baseball coach in high school. So, so that, that um, he had seen me play before, which actually you have to question why he offered me the scholarship. Then if he saw me play, before, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but yeah, so I got a partial scholarship to play baseball at UMES. And I thought that was the greatest thing ever. I was like, ah, this is amazing. I mean, it felt really special to me. And then when I got there, they switched positions. I was an infielder growing up and they switched me to catcher. And I really, honestly, I really struggled with it. I struggled quite a bit with it. Didn't really like it. So I played baseball for two, two years in college before I actually just called it quits because it was just becoming, it wasn't fun anymore. And um, it was getting in the way with my schoolwork, I felt. And I just, yeah, I lost some passion for it because I'm, here I am catching bullpens all practice long not hardly getting any batting practice. Didn't feel like I was getting enough batting practice. And then I was working at trying to become a catcher and every once in a while I'd be, have to play third base or something, which, you know, I mean, you do what you, you do what you do. I just turned out to be not as adaptable as, as I should, as I wanted to be, I guess. So um, yeah, I didn't, didn't perform to very well in college, but um, it's an experience I would never take back. It was an amazing experience because you, I got to see, having played high school baseball in a small town, you know, in, my, in our, our, our conference was the MEAC conference, which isn't a fantastic baseball conference, but we have some base dealers in that conference. You know, usually, at least when I played, the stolen base leader in the country played in the MEAC conference. In fact, uh, FAMU, Florida A&M University, has only sent four players to the major leagues before, and they have more stolen bases than Arizona State's uh, major leaguers, where they have like 110. So that's you know, it's a fast conference, which sucks when you're not a good catcher. So, um, <laughs> and, and your primary pitcher is a knuckleballer. So those things put together didn't equal a lot of success. It was um, pretty stressful for me. You're on a, you're but, on a, um, you're on a hiding to nothing there because, you know, the coach is looking at your stats, the thrown out right. stolen base percentage, caught ceiling percentage, you're, you're at the bottom of the league because you can't throw anybody out because they're all fast and you've got a knuckleball pitcher throwing as slow as possible to the plate and he's saying, Hey, what the hell is wrong with you? Why can't you throw anybody out? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, the second year we the the knuckleballer had graduated, and I still couldn't throw anybody out. So, <laughs> you know, I just didn't have the technique. Honestly, to be honest with you, I just didn't really have the the, the technique down. And in college, you talk to any college coach, they they steal in the pitcher in college pretty much. You know, if you get a good base stealer out there, they're gonna find a way to get to to the base. You know, unless you're a phenomenal catcher. Yeah, that was interesting. But I've always loved sports. I played football in high school. I loved football. Football was probably my favorite thing in the world for the longest time. And I became a Giants fan, like you said, because I went to church with Jeff Hostetler's brother. So I was just instantly a Jeff Hostetler fan because because of that. So I remember used to watch games where he he wasn't even playing. He was holding the for the place kicker. He he was holding for Matt Barr. And uh, I would watch the game just to watch him hold hold the hold this the uh the extra points <laughs> and the field goals. But yeah. Uh, That's so dedication I always... because I'll tell you what, Mark Bavaro, when I was growing up, he went to my church for a oh, short wow. time. Uh, because what happened was our Monsignor, Monsignor Carroll was his priest. Mark Bavaro, for people who don't know, a Giants tight end, went to Notre Dame, very, very mm-hmm. devout Catholic. Ha- yeah, Catholic, 100%. So yeah. he was, somebody always went to church every Saturday or Sunday and our parish head parish priest, Monsignor Carroll, was his priest at Monsignor Carroll's prior parish before Monsignor Carroll came to our church, which was Our Lady the Magnificat in Kinelon, New Jersey. And so when Father Carroll came to, Monsignor Carroll came to OLM, Mark Bavaro followed Father Carroll to OLM. So every once in a while, when it didn't conflict with, you know, giant schedule, Mark Bavaro would show up to church at OLM. And that's awesome. I, I can't say though that I ever turned on a Giants game just to watch Mark Bavaro block before running out into a pass uh, catching route because he was in my church. His dedication made, I had hey, to say. He was my favorite tight end. I loved Mark Bavaro. But yeah, I mean, I always thought he looked like Rambo. Because so, he was, uh, man. He, he, you know, yeah. he, he was all, <laughs> if you, if you had Mark Bavaro as a cricketer, yeah, he'd be. He'd be the modern day Hamid Hassan with the, you know, the, the bandana and the, the eye streaks with the, you know, the war paint essentially. That was, that was Mark Bavaro <laughs> as a New York football giant carrying Ronnie Lott down the field. Prague Marathi, if you're watching, carrying Ronnie Lott and a couple other 49ers <laughs> down the field. They couldn't take him down. Yeah. Well, for about three years there. Yeah. For about a three years span. Yeah. Three or four years. He was, he was definitely a, a top t- tight end in the league for, for a few years in a row. Especially back then, the NFL, it was tough to be an elite player for more than two or three seasons in a row. You know, it was it was tough to keep that. Well, and his body got wrecked. You know, he had a short yeah. break. He only played seven, eight years total, which sounds right. absurd nowadays. But um, people look at the, t- the physical toll uh, Rob Gronkowski takes and why he had to essentially take a year off retiring. Mark Bavaro right. was a very, very similar physical type player, similar build, and he had knee and back issues that shortened his career significantly. I, my opinion, he was, if he played for 10, 11 years, he would have been a, a Hall of Famer for sure. And the fact that he only right. played seven, eight years, it kind of, you look at his stats and he said, ah, was this guy really that good? When he was on the field, he was unstoppable. It's just, could he stay on? Yeah. Yeah. And those Giants teams and well in football in general back then, if you were a tight end, you, you had to be a blocker. You had to be a good blocker. So you're pounding, pounding people all the time. You know, these days, a lot of times they'll split the tight end out. Don't have to worry about blocking as much. Evan Ingram wouldn't have made a Bill Parcells team 
in the 80s. <laughs> <Not that much. laughs> True. True. There's a few guys that wouldn't have. There's several guys that wouldn't have. Yeah. I, well, I think about 49 out of the whole 54-man current roster, the Giants wouldn't have made a Parcells team. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, that's probably true also. You can count the guys quicker who would have, who would have made the roster than the guys who would have been cut, that's for sure. So, yeah, yeah. you grew up in Maryland. You talked about the experiences at the University of Maryland with your dad, with being a Giants fan, playing baseball, being an Orioles fan. But you said you fell out of love with baseball, and you said that that's what led to you uh, giving up baseball and giving up essentially your partial scholarship, baseball scholarship, to play on the UMES baseball team. So having had that experience and having uh, a gap of sorts, okay, between the end of your college baseball career and, and just finding ways to keep your competitive juices flowing, when did you graduate and kind of what did you do to fill that void? I know I've spoken to you play pick up ice hockey essentially with guys locally and then somewhere on the way you got into cricket. So, you know, when did you graduate and then take me through the intervening years into what you're doing sports wise to, to fill that competitive void. And then how did that lead you to cricket? Well, first of all, I was an art major in college, uh, so I got my, my degrees in design. So there's filling the athletic void, like the wanting to play sports competitive void, and then there's filling the wanting to create void. And so sometimes those two things in my lifetime have, like when I stopped with baseball, I really kind of immersed myself in like music and art, like those two things. I enjoyed making art and I enjoyed playing music with my friends and things like that so I immersed myself in that I kind of just was for a little bit just kind of like too busy doing those things to really think about much else but once I graduated and once I got good job out after college I did the thing that I wanted to do like my whole life was I always wanted to play ice hockey and uh, because I was a big Capitals fan my, my I remember my seventh or eighth birthday party I got tickets to go see the Washington Capitals and I was a huge Rod Langway fan, like, cause he didn't wear a helmet. He just he had this great mustache and he just, you know, he scored like three or four goals a year, but I like how physical he was. He was a, he was a big, tall defenseman, just controlled the game physically. I loved watching, watching him play. And um, so I always wanted to play hockey and um, I would play street hockey with my friends and things like that, but never hockey is an expensive sport, as you know. And so once I finally got out of college and got a decent job, I was like, I'm going to learn how to play hockey. So I just immersed myself in that um, for a while. Got to play with some really cool players. I got to play with um, Ivan LeBray, who was the first player who had his jersey retired by the Washington Capitals. So just playing at, at, my, at the local league. And he was just the nicest, coolest guy ever. And uh, Gary Ristling was another guy that we got to play with. And these guys, you know, they were kind of known as like, tough guys in the NHL but of course you know in real world when you play hockey them, you realize how good their hands were are really are <laughs> compared to like the average adult hockey player but yeah so I got to play a lot of really really fun hockey did that up until COVID started pretty much and um I love ice hockey I love playing it just I like playing defense because I like like the most fun thing is going back to get the puck retrieving a puck and coming around the net and like just going as fast as you can, <laughs> you know, uh, it's like, a, it's just a, such a big rush, you know? So anyways, that's how I filled the void was playing. I played a lot of flag football with my friends and I played a lot of 
uh, basketball with my friends and a lot of ice hockey. So uh, that's how I filled that void of just staying active and playing sports. And this is so, so, so for timeline purposes, you graduated what year? Graduated college in 2004. So from 2004 until when did you discover cricket in, in the sense of cricket? looking to play cricket? 2015. So um, there's an 11-year gap here. Yeah, there's and I did that. Recreational sports, adult rec leagues, whatever. Right, so, yeah. So picking up cricket in terms of playing it as, as an adult in your 30s, not mm-hmm. the easiest thing in the world to do for any sport for that matter, to pick it up new. It, right, I think. The reason I thought I could do it, the reason why like, I thought, okay, I can do this was because I had learned hockey in my 20s. And hockey is a really difficult sport to pick up. Uh, when you're a kid, it's a little easier because, you you know, it's well, like well, you've got to learn how to skate. Forget all this. Yeah, exactly. Forget all the stick, uh, puck handling, stick handling, and, and all of the technical right. skills. and that. Just learning how to skate. If you don't learn to yeah. skate by the age of like six, seven, eight, learning to skate even as a teenager, let alone as an adult, that's hard. It's, it is hard. And, and I, um, so, oh, oh, this was the coolest thing that happened was when my wife got a job teaching in Annapolis and we were living in Baltimore and I was working in West Baltimore and she was teaching in Annapolis and we were living in North of Baltimore. So we moved to the, to be in between Baltimore and Annapolis kind of be halfway. We moved across the street from an ice rink, a piney orchard ice rink in Odenton, Maryland in piney orchard, Maryland, really. Yeah. So that's where I was like, I was able to practice all the time because I got a job there. I started scorekeeping there and doing other odds and ends around the rink. And in exchange for doing that, I was just like, just pay my league fee. So just pay my ice fee and let me come and play pickup. So they, they liked that deal. So yeah, I was always at the ice rink at that point. I was playing hockey with, with teeny. I was like 20, 25, 26 years old, like meeting up with like teenagers when they would skip school and stuff and going to play hockey and, <laughs> I would like leave and leave and work at lunchtime on Fridays to go play hockey with teenagers. It was just a blast. But yeah, um, I took that up. And, and when I discovered cricket in 2015, I'll tell you first how I discovered cricket. So I got into it during the World Cup that year. I work in IT. So I work with a lot of uh, Indian guys and um, Asian guys. And uh, they were following the World Cup. Now, this talking- sorry to cut in for a second here. So before you said you were working to live in Maryland, at this point in time, though, 2015, when you got into through the World Cup, by this point in time, you had moved to North Carolina. Yes, we moved to North Carolina in 2010. And um, at that point, actually, I decided I wanted to play baseball again. I played a year of baseball and I had fun doing it, but I just decided that was conflicting too much with my with other things that I had going on. And I honestly preferred it by then. I liked playing hockey more. So yeah, I played like another, I, I like play, I joined the city league. Our team actually like fin- finished runners up. We got no hit in the, in the championship game. <laughs> we lost one and nothing in the championship game. It was like, we had this amazing pitcher who just got out of college. He was throwing serious gas. So it was fun. But, but so then, but essentially you were in North Carolina and North Raleigh, Morrisville area for a good five years. Before I discovered cricket. Before you yep. discovered not just cricket, but before you discovered there was this thriving yeah before i even knew it happened yeah before i even knew it was local yeah and i had no idea all this no stuff clue. you know because again church street park opened in 2015 and that right you don't just get a facility like that overnight there has to be exactly a strong cricket community by then there was three years of history behind church street park and um it, i probably would have heard about it if i lived in morrisville i just worked in morrisville and i lived in north raleigh yeah so yeah 2015 
some of the Indian guys I work with were talking about the World Cup and I started to look into it. And the very first game I followed was live and I couldn't find a site to watch a stream of the game that wasn't trying to give me malware <laughs> at the time. And it was like, uh, and they warned, my friends warned me, they're like, yeah, if you try to watch this live via any sites, you're just going to end up with malware. And, and, this, um, and, and the other thing this tells me is that how much of a battle it is to get people to pay for the rights. Because in the 2015 World Cup, ESPN, I was working in Connecticut at the time. So my role mm-hmm. at that point in time with ESPN, I was partially responsible for overseeing the coordination of highlights editing and highlights production uh, out of the ESPN headquarters in Bristol. We were in a basement oh, in, wow. in Bristol. So there was a team of six, seven, eight people. There was three full-time video editors which I was, I had started doing video editing when I first relocated to Connecticut headquarters there. And then eventually there were two more staff hired. So I, my hands-on video editing role was lessened. I finally had some burden relieved from that standpoint. And Jason Fox was one of those two people who I interviewed him on another episode, but Jason Fox was down there in the basement during the world cup mm-hmm. along with um another guy Cahill creamer and there were five staff from bangor so espn creek info has two offices in india one in bangor one in mumbai and they flew over temporarily five staff from bangor who were video editors to help out and then also i believe one person came over from the london office as well so we had about eight nine people on site in connecticut during what was essentially a six week long blizzard. It felt like uh, it was, there was snow on the ground <laughs> from beginning to end of that tournament. It was literally like 48 hours before the first match, the world cup, the India guys arrive in like literally hours before they land in Connecticut. There's like a, a blizzard that drops like 25, 30 inches of snow in, in Bristol and Farmington, Connecticut. And it, for the entire six weeks they were there, they never had a day where there was snow, not on the ground by the end of it, they're like, I don't think we ever want to come back here. If this is what America is like, and this is what Connecticut is like, this is not what we signed up for. <laughs> but ESPN had the rights and it was $100 pay-per-view package for the tournament. So traditionally Willow used to have the rights for everything. It was just a foregone conclusion. You had to go to Willow to get the World Cup or anything else for that matter. ESPN started buying up rights in the few years before that. And they had the rights for the ICC events from 2011 to 2015, starting with after the 2011 World Cup. That was on Willow. But from late 2011 through 2015 World Cup, everything was on ESPN. And they decided, now the T20 World Cup was free. All you had to do was have a subscription to ESPN3 or ESPN360, as it was called at the time, or watch ESPN. Right, right, watch, you, ESPN, watch ESPN. Yeah. Watch ESPN, and you could get it for free. Some business decision was made that instead of giving the World Cup for free as part of Watch ESPN, we're going to put it behind a pay-per-view paywall where you got to pay $100 for the tournament, or I think it was like $5 or $10 per game if, if you only wanted to watch your, your specific team and you could theoretically pay $10 per game. But if, if your team makes the final and you pay for eight or nine games, well, why not buy the whole World Cup for $100, which is what most people did. But what, right. what I hear you say this, it reminds me that like ESPN, I think they made – something like $9 million or $10 million in revenue for that. That's how many subscriptions they had for people who paid for the World Cup at $100 a pop. And yet there were still thousands and tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who refused to pay for that and were just trying to find pirate sites and the malware (laughs) sites that you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. 
yeah that i guess yeah that goes to show the the demand there yeah i i had no clue how to watch it like legally at the time honestly because i literally just got into it like right then the big thing that got me into it was the uh pakistan versus so the so the so the world cup had already been going on it, it was the pakistan versus australia game when um uh wahab riaz had that really violent fiery bowling spell against um who was it Shane watson Shane Watson. Yeah. Shane Watson. Yeah. It was cool because after that, those two players were like, to me, they were like, they were like the best player after watching that, that over, you know, I was just impressed with the ferocity of it. You know, I was thinking about it in terms of baseball, of course, you know, cause I had a baseball background. So I'm, I'm like watching this and I'm like, the guy just threw the ball at him, it bounced up right at his face. Right. And he got out of the way of it or whatever. And then he turns around and looks and Wahab Riaz is like 10 feet away from him, like clapping in his face like this, you know, like, like really being intimidating. And I was like, imagine if in baseball, imagine if Randy Johnson or like Scherzer or somebody throws one up and up and in on you. And then, and then the next thing, you know, they're 10 feet away from your face, like rubbing it in, waiting for the ball back from the catcher, you know, <laughs> like, it's just like, Whoa, this is so intense. And, um, and then, of course, that whole spell, I believe it ended with Watson getting, uh, I mean, he was overmatched, but you know, I think I believe it ended with him getting dropped at, at deep fine leg. Yep. And it was a, a can of corn. And I just, I remember thinking about the drama of that whole thing. And, and something about the guy dropping the ball made it even more perfect to me. Because here they, they've clearly got the best of this guy you know, and they're challenging him. And then he kind of goes for the, he just kind of like says, all right, I'm going to go for this one. And then they basically have him out and then they drop it. And I was talking to my friends at, at work and they're like, yeah, that's pretty much Pakistan for you right there. <laughs> like, like that's kind of how, how they, they, uh, that's kind of their reputation. But um, that had me hooked. So after that, I was like, look, I got to figure out how this game works. So I started following ball by ball at like four in the morning or whatever time it was. I was sitting, this was before my, my before my youngest child was born so we still had an office now it's her bedroom but i remember sitting in there in the middle of the night and tammy's mom was staying with us i remember just sitting in there um watching ball by ball trying to figure out what was going on reading reading the commentary trying to make sense of everything and then in the same at the same time searching terms and uh watching anything i could find on youtube uh, to try to see how this sport went. And then, of course, it just became how can I started thinking, how could Americans get into this sport? How can Americans, how can you transition people into playing this sport? All these things came into my mind. So I started to read Google about it, read about it. I came across you really fast, um, once, especially once I got into starting to search about it, USA. I was like, surely we've got a team. So I, I you know, I think the first player I read about was Steven Taylor, you know, because really high hopes for Steven Taylor. I mean, he's a brilliant player. He's absolutely amazing. But, you know, reading about the history of him, like from the time he was young, you know, just making the U19 team, he, yeah, yeah, people were excited about him, it seemed like. So um, that was cool. That was one of the first things I read about. And then I obviously, I was like, I wonder if there's any cricket locally. So I searched, found a team, the Raleigh Royals. Uh, I emailed them. They actually had an ad on Craigslist and I emailed them hey, I want to try this sport out. <laughs> and uh, well, what made me want to try it, going back a little bit, what made me want to try it was finding out about Church Street Park. 
So finding out that there was this cricket ground at Church Street Park, reading articles about that got me excited. And then um, seeing it, seeing the, you know, the site and everything, that got me really excited. I was like, well, now I got to play because I want to play on that ground. It looks, it looks too cool. You know, it, it, it looks like something special. Geographically, now, this- again, you, you say you live in North Raleigh, you do work in Morrisville. So from home or from work? 21 to- miles. 21 miles. So yeah, 21 miles from here to the, to the, um, to the ground, to the cricket ground, to the church. Department. Uh, all highway 20, you know, actually 20, 20 miles. And it's all basically like belt, kind of like beltway, I guess we would say the road that goes around Raleigh, which uh, they, it's 540 here. 540, but in, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. In, yeah. It's basically the same concept as DC and Baltimore's beltway, 695 and 495. It's, it's, so it's what call 20, it a beltway here. 25 minutes, half hour to get there yeah it, exactly 25 minutes to a half hour and i'm already in the community ever you know for work so yeah i reached out i found a team called the raleigh royals and uh sat beer and snejo um replied snejo is actually aman patel's father so one of the very first people i ever contacted in the triangle cricket league is aman patel's father and we know aman patel he did the commentary with lenny uh, Andrew Leonard at the USA Ireland games. He does the commentary for minor league crickets, Morrisville Cardinals. He's been really, he goes to UNC and he's studying sports journalism there or, you know, something along those lines. So yeah, he was young then, obviously he's just now in his first year of college, but I remember him being around a lot when I started playing uh, cricket and he was always into the NFL. He was massively in the Tom, huge Tom Brady fan his whole life. Um, I'm going to have to stop talking to Amon now that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I would tease him about that. Yeah. You know, we beat you two times in the Super Bowl. you know, but I did yeah, enjoy he, those, those uh, tweets and whatever uh, mock press releases that, you know, New York media was uh, sending out, you know, Tom Brady, famous for losing two Super Bowls to New York Giants, <laughs> has, has retired after 20-plus seasons <laughs> in the NFL. Yeah, I saw that. That was funny. But, yeah, so it was his dad um, and, and um, a very good friend of his named Sat Beer who introduced me into the team, who got me into playing with the Royals, the uh, that team. And, um, actually, Jaskar and Holcher played for them a couple of years ago. So it's kind of neat. I played on the same team Jaskar did, just – at different times because i went on to play for other teams because that t- team uh, it was great it was really cool that they ha- let me into their team and they they taught me cricket and everything they helped me learn but um but i kind of wanted it yeah let, let me let wanted me, more chances yeah <laughs> let me ask you this so there's a lot to unpack there when you were first learning the game i guess before playing the game what was the easiest thing for you to adjust to learning and what was the hardest thing in terms of just the general flow of the game, the terminology, the just the verbiage? Because the, these are the kind of things I think when I was getting into it, understanding what was happening in terms of the rules and scoring and all that, that wasn't so much the hardest thing for me. It was more things like the positions, not not so much the positions on yeah. the field or, or how people were fielding or that. It was quite simply the terminology and the verbiage in terms of the vast array of positional names and scorecard things and those kind of things more than the actual understanding how 
a run is scored and the, the bat and ball content. Yeah. So for you, right. I'm curious, you know, what, what was easy, what came easy to you, what came quickly and what for you was you needed a bit more help and as somebody, a pal at, at your side to kind of help you process some of these things. The terminology, the, the terms that are used are so unique to cricket that that was absolutely the hardest part was figuring out what the heck people were trying to tell me to do. People, I would bowl, people would say, pitch it up. I had no idea what that meant. Uh, in fact, in the, the first advertisement that I said I replied to where they were like looking for cricket players to join. And I said, hey, I'd like to join. They told me to show up with, I said, do I need anything? Do I need cleats? What kind of shoes should I have? What do I need to bring with me? Just make sure you have, a, you have an abdominal guard. And I'm thinking, all right, abdominal guard. Uh, I'm thinking, wow, you really must get beat up in like your abdomen. Like you must like your, what is this, your boxing? belly button. Right, what's happening here? You know, so I'm like looking online and I'm like, where's an abdominal guard? Like, why do I, you know, I didn't want to show up there and, and just end up with bruises all over my stomach. You know, so I'm thinking they really must, it really must be important. And then I, I think I reached out for clarification and they, and finally got around to the fact that it was, they were talking about a protective cup, you know, like, uh, <laughs> but I was like, that's not the abdomen at all, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you dress. Well, but, well not, you know. just, not just that, <laughs> I, I, not just that, but you go into a Models or a sports authority right. or Dick's sporting, you know, what, whatever survived. I think Models and sports authority are out of business now, but Dick's, uh, whatever was the sporting goods story that was so open at the time. And the other thing that cracks me up is like, not, not to say that like American men are extremely well endowed compared to other countries, but like you go to a, a baseball section in the sporting goods store and the, the cup covers like a significant surface area whereas you oh, yeah, they got the banana shape you yeah you got the, the banana down. shape it's yeah. curved it's curved it's it's ergonomically designed so that it right it, it covers and it's comfortable the, the mm. surface area that it covers whereas like you go to a cricket store and the ab garden i'm like what the hell is this gonna cover how right. is this supposed yeah. to protect me you know, who the hell would what, buy one of these things and what kills me is the boss if you're gonna get hit there it's coming from upwards you know what i mean if it's gonna hit you in the nuts it's coming from up so you need that lower coverage. And so I wore basically a catcher, what a catcher wears, like the, the banana cup. that. Goes well, that's, and that's what I wear. I, I wear a baseball yeah. cup when I go play cricket. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I wear the too. slider shorts, the sliding shorts and that I, you can fit the cup in there in the sliding shorts. And I wear it the whole game. I wear it to practice. I wear it when I'm bowling. I wear it, you know, actually, honestly, I even wear a cup when I'm coaching soccer, kids soccer. And the reason is, because they're all, you know, when you're coaching little kids, they're all like, you know, they're all about head high, you know, and, and uh, well, not just, just that, they don't have any control over where they're kicking the ball. It's not like they, they don't have, they don't have control over where they're kicking it. And when you're, when you're coaching them and you're running around amongst them, you know, and sometimes I'll want to play and uh, you know, you will play a game, like keep the ball away or whatever. And um, yeah, so I wear one when I'm coaching, I wear one all the time. I wear it, you know, obviously in hockey, if you don't wear one, you're stupid. You're, you're insane. If you don't wear one in hockey, you're definitely getting hit there. It's going to happen. It's well, yeah. Like, so, yeah. So that's another purpose. You say baseball, but yeah, playing ice hockey, I played ice hockey and baseball, but I played ice hockey way longer than I played baseball. And yeah, yeah. yeah. It's second nature. You wear, you wear a cup. It's the first thing you put on in ice hockey and insane. baseball too, for a certain extent. And so when I play cricket, you go on the field, anywhere on the cricket field, I always have one on. 
and my cricket teammates look at me like I'm some kind of weirdo from a different planet. Yeah. Why are you wearing a, a cup in the field? Like, what, what are you, what are you right. and like, No, like the few times that I've gone onto a field where I, I've forgotten it, not brought it to ground, I'm scared shitless when me I, too. and it me changes too. my entire technique. When, I, when I've got the cup uh -huh. on, I'm a lot more confident, a lot more aggressive, a lot more yeah. uh, uh, eager to attack the ball. When I don't have a cup on, I changed my whole body technique in terms of fielding because right. all of a sudden now I've got to turn use some other part of my body to shield myself or else I'm yep. thinking like Jesus Christ if I get a terrible balance which that's quite that's, often yeah. and on a field in America you're getting terrible bounces non-stop 24-7 which again underscores the fact if you're playing on a field in America where the grass is so horribly maintained why would you not go into the field with a cup on yeah I played growing up, I played on some terrible baseball fields and they had pebbles and little rocks and stones and the things all over the place. So it, you just wore a cup. You, you never knew what was going to happen. You, uh, you were going to eat one in the face every once in a while. It was just going to happen. But yeah, I mostly, I mean, if, if not just for protection, it's just for the fact that I check it off my list. You know, you put it on, you don't think about it anymore. Now you're ready to play the field, however aggressively you want to. And, um, I'm glad I'm glad Nate, that we've had now in close to 90 minutes, we've found a way to, to dedicate 10 minutes just to talking about the nuances of the ab guard versus the cup and what it means. And yeah, where, <laughs> yeah, you like don't wear those cricket, the cricket cups are terrible. So, they, the, so the mystery, one of the great mysteries in your introduction to cricket, come show up to the nets and make sure you have an ab guard. That was one of the biggest <laughs> hurdles that you've had to right. overcome. What is this Avgar day one? Talking about? Right, day, day one was the. I mean, I was going to go there with a cup on, anyways. You know, I mean, like, it, I was going to show up with the cup on. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah. And then it was just the other terms. Like I said, some people were like, "Pitch it up," and I was like, "Okay." And then so I started bowling it shorter because I thought that meant you want to bounce it up at the player. You know what I mean? Like I'm thinking, "Pitch it up" means get it up in his ribs or something. So all these terms, having to hear them for the first time, and the fact that wicket means three things at the same time, you know, and, you know, like you said, the positions. Oh, I need you. I remember going in the field and they were like, finer, finer, finer. And I'm like, what does finer mean? What are you talking about? Like, oh, no, square, square, more square, more square. And uh, so then you realize, wait a second, finer means closer to the stumps and more square means more well more towards 90 degrees or you know if, if it's a clock finer means closer to six and 12 and square means closer to three and nine yeah so that was that was interesting and then playing on the grounds that we play on because a lot of these grounds most of the grounds we play on weren't built for cricket they were built for something else and they're regular public grounds or they're a school ground and you know elementary school grounds or things like that aren't going to be the smoothest places and there's a lot of fire ants down here and there's a lot of rocks in the grounds so i like to slide like in baseball like you could dive for things slide for things and uh but yeah fielding was the easiest thing to transition because it was kind of like you got to do all the fun things you can do in baseball the only difference is learning how to catch differently and so we would do slip catching practice or we do like short close catching practice and that was a little tricky to get the hang of but after a while your reflexes just take over and, um, you know, all those things you did in baseball and other sports kind of just take over. And really catching a cricket ball is like catching a tiny American football. You know, it's just – you just got to use your hands and you have to be soft. 
Today's episode of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, and now one of the premier venues for the minor league cricket T20 franchise tournament. Located at 5515 McKeever Road in Perryland, five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288 and a half hour south of downtown Houston, Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms plus shower facilities after a day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. For more information, call 713-534-2195 at Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. I'm so glad you said this because everybody who tried to tell me, oh, you're never going to be able to catch without a baseball glove or, oh, I don't think you're going to be, oh, you sure you want to do this? And, oh, or when they see me, go, oh, what are you doing? How did you learn how to do that technique without a baseball glove on? And I've always tried to tell people my catching technique that I learned for cricket doesn't come from baseball comes from like you said american football because yeah. when, I'm, when i'm ready to catch a cricket ball i got my yeah. triangle formed with my index fingers mm-hmm. like i'm ready to catch a pass coming in at head right, right. and yeah, yeah and for people who are watching this who are listening to this who are cricket fans or played cricket all their lives haven't played american football on tv it might look simplified if they're coming across an NFL game or a college football game where quarterbacks throwing the ball and oh well they're catching barehanded because the ball is big and oh it's so easy I don't know if any of these people who have played cricket all their lives or who have not played football would appreciate the fact that you get forget NFL standard forget Tom Brady Peyton Manning you get a college football standard quarterback oh yeah burning your hands the the leather on the pigskin football like you just said yeah you you'll get finger burns, hand burns, palm burns with the yeah. laces ripping through, or just the the leather of the football. Even those without. laces are are no joke. They're hard. It's it, yeah. It, you can get seriously injured because they're mm-hmm. and they're throwing that football again. A lot of these quarterbacks, like you said, you you said it. You know, you played football, but you also played baseball. A lot of these quarterbacks, yeah. growing up, high school, college, they're multi sport athletes. So when they're not playing football, they're playing baseball. They're baseball pitchers or they're outfielders. So they're used yeah. to thinking the ball at 90 95 miles an hour with a baseball it's the same arm strength same arm speed coming they're throwing the ball it's it's dangerous if you don't know what the hell you're doing you get hit in the head you get a concussion or you you don't have the proper technique you're going to break a finger or dislocate a finger and so people oh how do you how do you catch barehanded it's not baseball and people keep trying to shove baseball down the throat oh it's just like baseball you if you like you know americans should love cricket because it's like baseball most of the things that I use, and I know from talking to you many times outside of this podcast, that you've learned, that I've learned, that we apply to cricket, they don't come from baseball. They come from right. football, like you said, ice hockey. They come from other sports. And the catching technique, that's American football all the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, big time. And, and um, like, I, I played co- some quarterback in high school. And the, my best skill in sports is throwing a football well. And so... If I'm having, if I take an NFL football, regulation NFL leather football, and I just have a catch with somebody who plays another sport that's never played football before, it's going to sting their hands. It's going to be hard for them to catch that ball. You know, they're not going to enjoy it. It's not going to be fun, fun unless they know what they're doing. And this is not just cricket players. This isn't people who play other sports that aren't football. So, I mean, I, I think, I think a lot, sometimes basketball translates well, because sometimes you get those guys who can really rip the, you know, you know, the, the full length court passes and stuff like that, but still playing foot, playing catch with a basketball player who's never played football, they're not going to be happy with it, with how that feels. So um, yeah. So I think 
a lot of it is football. If you're used to catching someone who can throw a football really, really hard, you can catch a cricket ball. It's, you know, you absolutely can. It's just smaller. That's the big thing. Did you get confused or to what degree of confusion did you have by people like we talked about it? people who are well-intentioned, but who are trying to, you know, superficially, they see baseball, oh, it's a stick and ball sport, oh, it's just like cricket, who are trying to, as they were teaching you technical things, oh, do, uh, do this like you do in yep. baseball, do that like you do in baseball, and to, yeah. to what extent did that make you more confused? It confused than- me quite a bit, yeah, there were a lot of people who were well-intentioned, uh, who, who were tr- trying to help me out. And um, I've had several conversations with Julian Fountain about this. And we know Julian, uh, fielding coach for several uh, international teams. He was the coach of the U19 South Korean team. And he has coached in the PSL for quite some time now. Um, but we know that he also played baseball for Great Britain. And so he knows a lot about both of the sports. I've talked to him a lot about this. And, and he's like the, and to answer why you and I both know him, he's based in the U.S. now. When he's, he's based not, in the U.S. He's not, when he's not coaching in these overseas leagues, he's based in Texas. Right. And this is a topic we like to, I like to talk to him about because he really does get it. I wish I had talked to him on day one <laughs> because uh, his ability to translate the baseball technique to cricket he cuts a lot. He, he cuts a lot of time out for you. There's a lot of trial and error with everything you try new. And especially when you really don't know what people are talking about when they're trying to tell you the thing, it's almost like it's a whole nother language. Cause they're like, get on the front foot. And early on, I, I, I took some classes from, I took a couple sessions with Alvin Calacharan. I took us, I, 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 I paid for us an hour session from Muhammad Yusuf. And uh, those guys are, world-class cricketers you know like two of the best batsmen to ever play the game and um that was really neat the best part is watching them (laughs) demonstrate but um the communication cricket is a foreign language basically and it's just it's like um the technique is the batting technique is very if you want to learn how to bat like a proper batter like a proper cricket batter you got to unlearn a lot of things you know, but there's a lot that does translate to it. And I think if you're going from baseball to cricket, you absolutely can do so much better having a guy there who knows how to break things down to you to make those two worlds kind of kind of work together like Julian does. You know, like uh, when I talk to him about it, I'm like, man, I wish I'd known that three years ago. I would have saved myself a lot of time, you know, instead of trying to force instead of trying to force certain things that weren't natural, I could have learn to do them in a different way it's like uh, everybody wants to teach you the front foot defense forward defense and like you know straight off but you know i know you picked up cricket probably in your 20s right first time i picked and up I a bat and ball was when i was like just before my 21st birthday ah uh, right when you were in australia right yeah, yeah. so um and the first time i played like an actual organized match was when i was yeah 21 in, in Omaha, Nebraska, when I came back, I was 21 before I played a formal match for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels very foreign that straight bat stuff at first, you know, it feels real foreign, especially getting any kind of anything behind it, a front foot shot across the ground is it's, it's totally different technique than baseball. That part is plenty of things that translate really well with that. I think people underestimate a lot of people are like, Oh, just bounce one up at the at a baseball player's eyes. 
no you don't do that they can see it really good then you know and it's like and and you're going across that's the baseball swing pretty much so um you don't want to do that you just throw it at their legs it, you know bowl it at bowl it at their legs pretty full that's what you do <laughs> so, so um but yeah, uh, so the transition for batting was difficult. The transition for bowling was difficult. Fielding was easy. Fielding was, when I got into cricket, I think the thing that got me into it was the fielding. Because right away I was like, let me see what fielding's like. And I watched videos of Jaunty Rhodes like crazy. Like uh, just watching every uh, amazing flying run out he did and diving catch. And that's what really excited me about cricket was the, I was so impressed when a player would, make a diving stop when a, when a point fielder would make a diving stop and then pop up and hit, hit a single stump from, from, you know, dead square point of view, you're just looking at the one stump. I was so excited by that type of play. How much would you say of the stuff you absorbed and learned was self-taught, whether just as a watcher and as a fan learning the rules of the game, learning the flow of gameplay, learning the scoring and, you know, watching the game, live mm -hmm. whether it's a world cup or after the world cup in 2015 and also from a playing standpoint how much of the stuff would you say was kind of self-absorbed self-taught just by observation watching people right. watching games on tv watching versus stuff that people tried to teach you independently of yourself i think it depends on the, the aspect of, of the game i think uh, i learned a lot from my teammates who were who were very helpful then what they tried their, they, they did a lot. They tried really hard to communicate with me the right things to do. Um, but I was getting so much from so many people. Everybody wanted to be a teacher. And this was the tough part. This was the tough thing. It was like, I didn't know what to listen to and what not to listen to. I didn't even know what a good cricket player looked like, you know, in our league. Like, I didn't really know. It took me some time to appreciate. So some of, you know, to appreciate some of the players who were more graceful than powerful because I didn't realize you know, it, it all looks so different to me, the technique and stuff. And we're playing on this really thick grass. And so now I know when someone makes a nice drive, you know, like a makes a nice on, on drive or off drive or cover drive or, or whatever. And, and I see that and I'm like, yeah, that only went for one run because we have four inches of grass of thick crab grass here. But um, <laughs> that's a boundary on like a cricket ground, you know, now I know that stuff but at the time I was like I didn't see the quality in that sort of thing so that was tough just getting the more I watched the more I learned what was good to do and what was bad to do yeah to answer the question though I would say 50 50 because ultimately in every sport you are your own best coach and you you have to learn how to be your own coach and you have to learn how to take the things that you do well and perfect those to the best of your own ability um, so I'd say it's 50 50 I learned a lot from my teammates, especially about tactics and stuff, because I would ask them things, they would tell me things. I would say a lot of times it was people pointing me in the right direction and then me going and finding out the rest of the answer. What fascinates me hearing you say this is the fact that it sounds to me more like you mentioned the World Cup match between Australia and Pakistan, which you got to watch the sequence happening live between Wahab Riaz and Shane Watson. But from what you're kind of indicating, it sounds more like you were not really watching or getting an opportunity to watch a lot of cricket. So the majority of your formative yeah. cricket experiences were not right. watching cricket live on television or on a web stream. Yeah. The majority of your formative cricket experiences were actually firsthand on a cricket field in North Carolina somewhere, which yeah. 
I find probably I find, probably about 50 50. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But I, I find that so fascinating because for me, I watched the whole ashes in 2005 and I watched essentially the whole super series. So for people who may or may not remember, there was ICC organized thing. That was a, a, a world 11 best players in the world at that point in time. Lara Tendulkar was named in the team, but he had to withdraw because he needed elbow surgery. Dravid, Sewag, Sangakara, Sean Pollock, Steve Harmison, Andrew Flintoff, Inzamam, Lara, Graham Smith, captain the team, Murley, all these amazing players from around the world were supposed to take on Australia in a, a six-day super test and three one-dayers. The test match only lasted four days. Australia slaughtered Wow. Him. And that was in Sydney. So I went to that in person. So I watched the Ashes on TV. I went to the Super Test in person. That one day is were in Melbourne. The Super Test was in Sydney. I went to the, the mm. Test Match three, the first three days of the Test Match in Sydney. And then West Indies toured later in that Australian summer for three matches. And then South Africa toured afterwards. And I went to the New Year's Test, which was in Sydney against South Africa. Got to see, and I went to all five days of that. If the Ashes wasn't enough, I knew I was hooked on cricket for life then because I, part of going to the New Year's Test meant that I skipped the BCS National Championship game that year at the Rose Bowl, which was Vince Young against Reggie Bush, <laughs> Matt Liner of USC. And so I remember watching that with my I remember who where I was when that was on. Yeah. I got to see the last 10 minutes of the fourth quarter because on day four of the South Africa test, play uh, was rained out early. They didn't play the afternoon session. So play got out early and I was able to go to a bar in the city, leaving the cricket ground after rain called off play. So I could watch the final 10 minutes of the Rose Bowl. But, you know, I, I had essentially missed that entire college football season being in Australia. I, I followed it online and I could watch the odd game here and there online. But I get all these messages from my brother about Reggie Bush and, oh, my God, he's having like the greatest season. <laughs> oh, Jackson. <laughs> and, um, you know, they're going to slaughter Texas in the Rose Bowl events. Young, they got no chance. And then, you know, I get to the bar and like my brother was texting me like, what the hell is Pete Carroll doing? He's a goddamn moron. Like, why are they going <laughs> to push the ball? They're screwing around trying to like do all this fancy crap with Lendale White and instead of just giving the ball to Reggie Bush. What the hell is wrong with him? Blah, blah, blah. He's, he's screwing around. Uh, they should be blowing Texas out. Blah, 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 blah. But I went, I saw, I saw, and I went to a couple one-day matches, New South Wales uh, state one-day matches. So I saw, aside from what I saw on TV, you know, the, the uh, 25 days essentially of Ashes Test Cricket on TV, watching the, the Super Series one-dayers on TV, going to the three days of the Super Test in person, watching essentially the entire West Indies Test Series on TV, watching the first two Test matches, the majority of the first two Test matches against South Africa on TV, in Perth and in boxing to his and then going to all five days watching every single ball of the Sydney test live and then when I came back to the U.S. I was watching the tri-series so it was Sri Lanka and uh, South Africa was the tri-series I'm not sure I think it was called the VBC Victoria Bitter Series or I can't remember if they had changed the sponsorship at the time I'm pretty sure it was the VB series but um, the point is I, I was I had watched probably 40 to 50 days of international cricket and when I would go to the gym the campus gym uh, where I was doing my semester abroad at Macquarie in the gym, I would be watching cricket on the TVs in the gym. So I, you know, in, right. uh, pa England toured Pakistan after the Ashes. I remember watching the England Pakistan tour. What what year was that one? To, to um, 2005 still. Yeah, okay. So Michael okay, yeah. was injured after the Ashes. Marcus Jaskothic had to be the standing captain and all that. And so, but I watched somewhere between 50 to 60, maybe 70 days of international cricket on TV. 
before I actually stepped on a cricket field in Nebraska to play a formal match. So when I played my first match and when I had my first training sessions, I saw, I'll never forget, this guy played the most glorious cover drive I've ever seen, like in person to that point in time anyway. And like you said, goes for one run because we're playing four or five, six in the time. <laughs> and so immediately I recognize, oh my God, this is like the most disgusting field that we could possibly play on. And then this is, <laughs> it's completely destroying my cricket experience. And when I finally got a chance to bat for the first time, mm-hmm. I had the same experience. I, I, my first shot I played, I got one run in the first cricket match I ever played before I got out. And I, I thought like that was a miracle. I thought like, oh, I'm going to get bowled first ball. And the fact that I was able to score without getting bowled was like a miracle. But the ball should have gone for like two or three runs. I didn't time yeah. it well enough to go to the boundary, but I timed it pretty good. And it went yeah. nowhere. I thought, Jesus Christ, like, yeah, training so hard on the nets to do what I think is supposed to be the right thing. And now I'm out in the middle and it's not getting me the rewards I thought I was going to get. How the hell do I do this? And so I'm, I'm processing these things based on everything I've seen on TV. But for you, it was a very different experience because yeah. – you're saying you didn't recognize right away that, oh, like, who, what's a good player and what's not? Because you're, you're seeing this guy play a great cover drive. At the time, you don't realize it's a great cover drive because you're not no, seeing as much on TV and it's not going with you. This guy sucks. He can't hit the ball. When in reality, it's yeah. not the case. I just find it very fascinating to hear you describe this because it, it's, I, I would never conceptualize it. I'm yeah. fathom that this is a possibility for somebody who discovers cricket this way. You wouldn't realize. Right. Yeah, you wouldn't. And, and that that's, I mean, that honestly, because I tried to watch what I could, but at the time we had already kind of cut the cord with cable at that point. So I didn't have any, I didn't have watched ESPN, a subscription, which I actually ended up getting my mom sign in like later that summer to watch some, some cricket. I believe England played Pakistan that summer in England. And that's, that test series was phenomenal. And I watched at that point in time, we had just switched at my job to two days uh, work from home. So from Friday morning, I was a, I was working from home and I would have the test on in the background. And it was day two usually, because they usually had day one on Thursday. So I would have that on in the background while I was working in the background. And then, you know, have it on when I could on the weekend and on Monday, if there was a day five, you know, which there wasn't really very many. But um, I remember how great that series was, and that really got me hooked. And also, we had vacation that summer. We had a vacation at a beach house with Tammy's family, and I was able to watch cricket that whole week, watch test cricket, you know, when we were on vacation pretty much. Well, you know, most of the week, and then watch other other cricket. So I really, really that was – I had only seen a little bit of live cricket. I, the, the cricket games I had seen until that summer were all on YouTube, old games that I could watch. So yeah, a lot of the the um, experiences I had first were were playing. I always wanted to play things more than I wanted to watch. I'd watch it, get inspired by it, and then I'd want to do it. You know, with the exception of like, it's funny because I've seen Cirque du Soleil a couple of times. When I go, I'm like, I really want to try that, but I'm not going to try that. Like, I'm going to die. <laughs> so like, that's one thing I can like be just watch and just not have an urge to you know to do it um an overwhelming urge but like with sports i just want to try them out i want to see what it's like to actually do the thing so i finally got to watch a lot that summer and it's you know of course the the thing that i didn't that took me a while to really comprehend was the difference between the formats the 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 technical differences you know why guys defend everything in test cricket and why 
they go for it in T20. Obviously, there's there's obvious once you know the two sports, it's obvious why. But like I didn't realize why in our league we were playing 40 overs uh, aside and T20, and I didn't realize why I had to learn uh, front foot defense first. <laughs> you know, like forward defense first. It was like we're not. I don't want to go in and just defend all day. I want to try to score runs. Yeah, so things like that. It was the the learning curve was pretty pretty uh, steep. Yeah, in hindsight, I would have done a lot better had I watched a lot more cricket before I had first started playing. I would it would have benefited me quite a bit. It would have taken out a lot of that learning curve. And then I set up a little I set up a little spot in my side yard here. I finally I found a place that where, where it was mostly flat, and I had about seventy feet of space. And I put I bought a net and I rigged up this net. And I put some stumps up and I just flattened the ground there as much as I could and practice spin bowling. And I chose spin bowling mostly because I only had about 70 feet to work with. <laughs> and I chose off spin bowling because it felt more like throwing a football coming out of my fingertip than any of the other bowling did. You know, in football, there's a lot of feel on that, on this, on this finger. The way I bowl, even now, I've kind of switched to bowling kind of like a me, sort of medium pace because. I broke my ankle last summer and it hurts more to bowl spin than it does to just run up straight, kind of straight and square. And even now I grip it just with two, these two fingers when I'm bowling medium pace and because I like how it feels coming off this finger more, you know, I keep this one out of the way. So it's, you know, and you just adapt to, to whatever feels best for you. I think when you're, when you're transitioning to another sport and you're starting off after not having this muscle memory that, that you built through your childhood for a specific sport, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you just kind of do what works best for you and you make it work and you can get weird things to happen that way too. You know, like if I release it one way, I can get it to kind of swing out. And if I release it another way, I can get it to cut in. And it's just, I, I'm always fascinated by, I love watching pitchers talk about how they grip the ball in baseball. And I love watching the different pitches they throw. And, I, and I've always been curious about that with cricket. You don't really see much people talking, many people talking about the different ways individual cricketers do things. But there's, there's always like the videos that show you the, the technically way to correct, correct way to do something. But every cricketer out there has their little kind of nuance, how they grip it. And, and I'm, I'm very curious about that. I love that sort of thing. Like even when uh, in minor, minor league, finals when uh Wetzel Vikela was here I went up to him and started asking him about his grip because he gets that so much drift on that ball <laughs> his ball drifts a mile and and he he has the special ability to drift the ball at the same speed he bowls his off break that had you know when he puts a little more um flight on the ball with his off break delivery he, he can actually swing it in with this drifter the same speed as he does the other one and that's tricky to me that's amazing because you know, the more I learned how to bowl, I was like, I could get it to drift, but I had to put more on it. I had to put more pace on it. You know, whereas if I wanted to get it to turn, I had to take pace off of it. And like he, it literally looks the same coming out of his hand, both balls. And that's why he's dangerous, especially against righties when they open up and it just goes right through. But yeah, like learning all those little technical things is the most fascinating thing about the game to me. Obviously the tactics, we all love that. And the test cricket is such an amazing thing but t20 cricket is amazing too the one format i kind of i'm not i'm not really into one day cricket like except for associate cricket one day it's just way better than full member one day you know there's just so much more at stake a and b the games nobody scores 400 runs the the grounds that they play on are beautiful but the but the pitches aren't they're not made for 400 runs you know most of the time 
Yeah, I just feel like the games are better in associate one-day cricket. You have a better chance for 10 wickets, too. And to me, that goes back to the original intention of one-day cricket in the first place. It was supposed to be a a mini-test match, in a sense. It was supposed to play what was effectively a one-day test match. And in the early days of one-day cricket, yeah, taking 10 wickets was not a far-fetched concept, whereas now you see a lot of the full-member scores finishing, you know, 350 for four, 290 for six, whatever. Losing 10 wickets is a very, very almost borderline embarrassing thing in in a full memory whereas in the uh, cricket world cup league two or world events and it happens quite regularly where you you feel like it is a contest that's meant to be a condensed test match and yeah time you will see more aggressive fields you'll see a forward short leg or a silly point with a helmet on it and you'll see yeah You'll see crazy things like that. Yeah, that's why I love Associate One Day. It, exactly, exactly that reason. And and also, if you get that tenth wicket in the forty ninth or the forty eighth over, right, eight balls to spare or something like that, eight balls left in the innings that the other team left on the table, you can bet like that's going to come back to haunt that team in the second second innings. You know, it's it's like it just seems like oh no big deal. They they lost their tenth tenth wicket in the forty ninth over, no big deal. But yeah, I mean that's a, it's a huge deal. Is the other team has eight extra balls if they play their cards right? That's a big deal. It's just really cool. It's just it's it's uh I love associate one day cricket. I really can't be bothered much with unless like Hayden Walsh Jr. is playing or something. I'll watch it then. <laughs> Let me ask you this: I've heard various stories from people over the years trying to get into cricket who are Americans and the obstacles that they've had to overcome. As a player, you haven't really touched on it so much yet. The eagerness that you have, you wanted to learn, you wanted to play. One of the obstacles is the playing facilities themselves. You're playing on substandard facilities more often than not. Your formative experiences, yeah, you went and saw Church Street Park, but you weren't playing on Church Street Park to start with. <laughs> That's one aspect of it. Another aspect, the concept of friendly cricket or social cricket versus when it all costs cricket at a what is essentially a recreational level where a yeah, lot of teams, yeah. a lot of teams in a lot of leagues, even though it's ostensibly recreational cricket. And yeah, like you said, you might have a player in your club, like Jasper Mahosha, who might be a national caliber talent by and large. Most of the other guys are not. I yeah. told uh, when I interviewed Nash Tush again on the podcast. Yeah. I mean, Nash played for the same club, like similar to you, not at the same time, uh, right. uh, but we were part of the same club at different points in time. And the majority of the players who are part of that club, they're good. They're good recreational standard, but they're not going to play for the national yeah. team. And so there's a balance kind of needs to be struck of, do you go out to play for the enjoyment as a recreational sport and get getting opportunities to play and, or is it win at all costs, which quite yeah. often is the case in, in club cricket in the USA, rightly or wrongly. And right. because of that, if you're a newcomer, the encouragement isn't quite there and your formative experiences could be you get sent to bat at 11, you don't bowl, you field it by the leg or some variation thereof. So for you, I'm curious to find, especially your first season, your first two seasons when you were still really learning on the fly and yeah. there's a lot of trial and error, how supportive, how patient were your club teammates in trying to help foster your, learning and your enjoyment of the game versus winning at all costs like tends to happen in club <laughs> cricket in the u.s well let me go back a little bit to uh, I'll, obviously i'm gonna answer that but going back to like ice hockey 
one thing I noticed in ice hockey, in adult ice hockey, when I was learning it was how seriously people at the lowest level of adult men's ice hockey take everything <laughs> versus how recreational the best players treat it. Right. <laughs> so it was so funny. It was like, you know, the lowest C level or D or wherever you are at, everyone's going to take it so seriously. And some of those guys even can tell you how, what their stats are in adult men's cricket. Right. And it's like, who cares? And then, so I couldn't wait to get out of that level uh, when I was learning ice hockey. I couldn't wait to get, to go up, you know, and eventually I played in the A, B league, which is like not A league, but it's not B league. It's a mixture of both. So that was great. That was the most fun I had because I was, A, I was very challenged. I had to play my best and B, the guys on my team who were super good, they were really cool. They were like, they knew that this wasn't the NHL. You know what I mean? They, they, because they had played at a high level, they played in college or something like that. They played at a high level. So they were out, you know, drinking beer on the bench. You know, you're going out and playing hockey, you're sweating your, your, your ass off, but you're drinking beer when you come back to the bench, you know? So I loved the, I actually felt more welcomed with those guys than I did with the, at the first, when I first started, you know, so it was fun. It's a weird thing. Cause you would think it would be the other way around. You'd think these guys are taking everything real seriously. And these guys are just having a great time. Sometimes you get, sometimes you do get that, but by and large, the higher, better level you play of adult hockey, the more recreational the players treat it. And uh, so cricket can sometimes be that way also, not nearly as much, but um, you get a lot of, um, some guys, a lot of guys just take it way too seriously. And um, they, you know, like you said, it's win at all costs. They don't want to give new newcomers chances. They're like, first of all, I don't think they have to worry about this too much. <laughs> I don't think that they don't have people banging down their door to try cricket out. You know, it, 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 most teams don't ever have this problem. Most teams never have this problem of guy shows up, wants to learn how to play cricket. He's serious about learning how to play cricket and he wants chances. Doesn't usually happen. So, uh, I mean, that first team I was with the Royals, they were an awesome group of guys. I'm still great friends with a lot of them. I, I, I love those guys. They were one of the original TCL teams. So to them, it was very important to win. And so I didn't get a whole lot of chances with them. The big benefit I had with them was our attendance was an issue a few times. So I was in, I got to play a lot of games, uh, but I didn't get the ball until my second season the last game of my second season and I, I had a double wicket maiden over which was pretty cool it was against the tail enders but still it was like my first over and I had been practicing for a year and a half in my side yard and uh have, I got pretty good control or at the time I really did have good control of ex of flighted deliveries and I would just used to drive people crazy which that almost that almost sounds like a, a very a near identical experience to what I had in, in a couple of weeks. <laughs> My first match. So the week before I had contacted the president of Omaha cricket club. And he told me, and I said, I'm American. I spent a semester from Australia. I'm really athletic. Have never played a cricket match, but I bought whites before I left from Australia. I knew I wouldn't be able to buy them in the U S more than likely. I bought equipment before I left Australia. You don't have to worry about equipment for me. I'm just looking for a place to get a chance to play. I've never played a formal match. I played all sorts of other sports growing up and I've messed around kind of in the nets in Australia, just not played in an actual game. I'm just looking for a chance. And the response I got was our league and our team is very serious. Uh, you know, <laughs> let me, you know, 
you're going to have to come to a few practice sessions first before we can evaluate you and decide whether you're really up for the the rigors of Omaha Cricket Club, Nebraska League Cricket, because this is is really intense. And after giving me this speech for 20, 30 minutes on the phone, despite my pleading constantly, I just want to play, please. I'll do anything. I just want to play. No, no, no. We've got a really established lineup. I, we don't, I don't know if we'll have room for you. <laughs> we want to have a look at you first and just come and practice first. So, you know, are, are you playing? You know, I'd just love to come watch you guys to see what, what the field's like and what the team is like. Just I don't care if I don't get to play. I just want to watch all you. Can, uh, well, you can come to our match. It's at this field, NP Dodge Park and North Omaha. And yeah, if you want to watch, you can. And then the night before the game that I was expecting to come to as a spectator, I get a frantic phone call from the same guy, the, the club captain and the uh, club president saying, we're short of players. A couple guys have dropped out. <laughs> you still have those whites. Can you come and play tomorrow? You're in your <laughs> <laughs> so then, typical. You know, <laughs> Such a typical thing. You know, yeah. After making out to be so, so serious, ultra serious, ultra competitive. It's, oh, sh- you know, oh shit. We, we don't have 11 guys. Can you come? You know, we just need mm. a warm body. Please come. Yeah. And that was my ticket into the team. And, and I took a catch at square leg. The first match we fielded first and again they put me at square leg they're like all right you, you look maybe you're athletic all right we'll put you at square we're not going to put you at point we're not going to put you at cover we're not going to put you at high traffic oh, i'll put you at square leg you know what mm-hmm. and then i think it was like the ninth or tenth over guy flicks off his pads and i take the catch i go nuts yeah fling it up in the air there's <laughs> just silence <laughs> he was staring at me like holy shit he, he actually caught it like he knows how to get the guy. Like this is amazing, and oh, yeah, he he can play. He can stay. Like oh, we, you know, we can come back next week too. You know, we'll work on the other stuff. Batting, going. Oh, he, he can field. Like we need that, and and similar to you, almost identical. It took me a whole summer, a whole season to learn how to bowl properly. Bowling was the hardest. Yeah, thing. yeah. it took me forever. Yeah, just yeah. relaxing my elbow, just trying to get mm-hmm. the wrist to do more work and relaxing the elbow. From the time I started practicing in the nets just two or three times a week. So we started training in, in the first match I played with, it would have been April. I spent the entire season nonstop in the nets, trying to learn to bowl. And it was six months of consistent two to three days a week bowling several hours before they finally gave me a chance in the very last game of the season. Yeah, yeah. In September. And my very first ball I bowled in the club cricket with Omaha Cricket Club, I took a wicket. And I didn't even see it happen. <laughs> because what happened was... I, I focused, yeah, all my, it was hard for me to bowl in the nets because I flooded the ball so much, half my deliveries would hit me, the top of the net. Me too, me too. So um, I, I do practice all this flight, just really give it a lot of air and try and spin it. And so the first delivery I bowled, I was so nervous. I almost was called for a no ball because I, again, you watch on TV, you don't hear the interaction between the bowler and the umpire. So I had no idea in the actual cricket match, you're supposed to tell the umpire what your bowling action is, you know, right arm over. Yeah, I didn't, right I didn't know over. that either. I, I didn't know what no you were supposed to do that. He, so I'm, he asked I'm, me, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, so I'm about to walk up to bowl the first ball. And one of my teammates shouts like, Peter, did you tell him how you're going to bowl? I'm like, no, why would I tell him how I'm going to bowl? It's supposed to be a surprise. I don't want to tell him. How I'm <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. Like you need to tell the umpire or else it's a no ball. Like you don't want to get a call for a no ball. You have to declare to the umpire, are you going to come over or around the wicket? I don't know. What do you want me to do? Should I go over or around? Like, <laughs> No, 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 you know, the angle and you, how you've been practicing. What do you practice in the net? Oh, over the wicket. Okay, just tell them that. Okay, right arm over. Oh, okay, right arm over the wicket. Batsman, bowler's coming right arm over the wicket. Oh, okay. So, so after like, you know, two or three minutes of that, literally the first time I ever learned it on the field. Because again, umpire, you don't hear these things. 
on TV, mm -hmm. right? And if you don't grow up with it, you have no idea. So we, right. we get that out of the way. And then I finally come up, bowl the ball, give it a lot of flight. That's when prods forward and misses. And the ball, there was so much flight and so much bounce on this artificial wicket. The ball bounces over the stumps. And I thought I had come so close, I thought, to bowling this guy. He played, he's playing for a big turn, and there wasn't turn. Yeah. So he's playing inside the line of the ball. And bowling Austin plays way too far inside the line. The ball just goes straight on. I thought it was going for awesome and just bounces over the stumps. And I'm going like, oh, oh, you stumped him. And I turn away. And I'm like, oh, and I'm like turning, turning away. Like, I can't believe I just missed almost bowling a guy on my first delivery. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I hear the stumps mm. get broken. And I think are going crazy because we can keep stumped and be stretched too far out of the crease. And yeah. so my first <laughs> wicket I took in my life, I didn't actually see it happen because I, I bowl it. I turn away. Oh, my God. <laughs> never saw the, I never saw the bales get uh, taken off the stumps broken. That's um, funny. <laughs> you know, but a very, I, I find it very fascinating, very similar to the experiences we have where just getting a chance to play in the first place. Yeah. Because somebody dropped out at the last minute. Happens so often in club cricket. It's a classic club cricket experience. And then waiting forever to bowl and then taking away getting your first over. That's so cool to hear you say that because you're just falling. Yeah. yeah. Man, I can't tell you. It was so, it was such a big thrill getting my first like I said, I got two that over and what a great way to start. But it's, it's like the first time I ever went golfing, my very best, the best shot I ever made my whole ever since I started golfing was the very first time I went, it was like the second hole. And I put the ball like this close to the hole on my first shot. I never, never made a shot that nice since. I mean, how are you going to top a double wicket made? You're not going to ever tough that, you know? <laughs> so, uh, and then early on also, like I said, I didn't realize how seriously everyone took it. And we had a tournament here, like a memorial weekend tournament, and it was six aside. Some guys had asked me to play on their team, and they were really good players, and I was, like, really surprised they asked me to play. So I went out, and I was like, okay, six aside, every team gets five overs, right? So I realized right away the first game that the plan was kind of like everyone's bowling except for me. <laughs> uh, the, actually, the wicketkeeper would take his gloves off, give them to another guy, he'd put them on, and then he'd bowl. So the first couple of games in the tournament, because these games happen so fast, and it was, a, it was a blast. We had a heck of a weekend. It was so much fun. But, um, yeah, so the first couple of games I didn't bowl at all, and I, they had me batting last. I was literally there as a fielder. Because when you have six people on the field, it makes it's it's good to have good fielders there, to, you know. So uh, finally, I got the bowl because one of our best bowlers started getting cramps in his legs, real bad, like really bad cramps. So, <laughs> and he's a he's a good friend of mine. Uh, so I ended up bowling, and I started taking wickets, and I started getting good bat batsmen out. And I realized I was getting good batsmen out because this is a five overs game. They have to score boundaries. I'm bowling these flighted deliveries. You know, it's, it's, it's a cement wicket. So flighted deliveries on a cement wicket are a great idea in a game like that. You know, you're just going to get the crazy bounce from, from a flighted delivery. I took a few wickets and I made some really, I got in the semifinal game. I made this really great catch on a bat batter who good friend of mine, who was one of the best batters in our league league named Swapnell. And it was like the perfect football style catch and it was like you know how when you're a kid and you're throwing the football up to yourself you know and you practice that all the time and you throw it up and you catch it this way and you catch it this and you catch it this way and you catch it you know but because you're right-handed you're throwing it up with this hand and most of your best catches are on this side of your body you know 
So it's like, I always knew I was way better at my left, not way better, but I was, you know, just enough better on my left. So he hit this ball going for the, it was going to be six for sure. And I remember running after it and I was like, oh, this is exactly the ball that I practiced my whole life for. <laughs> and I just ran it down and I caught it like this, right at the, right at the, at the boundary and kept it from going over. And it was a great catch. And uh, I remember like, that's the moment I felt like people like accepted that I was a cricketer. Everybody was like, Oh, awesome catch, you know? And I remember thinking that was just like, that was perfect because like I said, you're, you're throwing the ball up into your kid. You're always catching it on this side more than anything else. So it was just like the perfect scenario, but yeah, we went, we ended up losing in the final in the championship game. And that was the first game I got to bat in the whole weekend. So, and the very first, and that was the first time I ever batted in a game. <laughs> and so the, the very first ball was did a, just a completely premeditated shot. I was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to slog sweep. Cause I, I was like, that's just the bowler wasn't very tall. And he was bowling like medium pace. And I just felt like I'm going to just get underneath it. And I'm just, or I'm just going to get low and slog sweep it. And I hit it. It landed in mud, like, like a couple feet away from the boundary and just stuck instead of going to the boundary. So I'm going down to the other end and the batsman who just was at the other end. So I'm like coming back for two and he's like, no, stay there. <laughs> stay there. <laughs> Cause I think everybody, and I hit it behind square. I mean, uh, I hit it like on the label of the bat, you know, like, like, but it, it went almost to the boundary, but yeah, I remember he was like, stay there, stay there. And I was like, you know what? I really want to keep batting, but he's, he's absolutely right. <laughs> like I should just stay here, make sure he gets on strike again. But you know, th those are lessons you learn, you know, when you're in a final of a little, even if it's just a six on six tournament, you want to win the game. And so like you learn the lesson that like that guy, who's on strike, he, he's, he's already hot. You got a chance to take two. No, in a limited game like that, you're going to leave, you're going to leave your hot guy on when you're the last wicket, <laughs> you know, little things like that. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, mostly people have been really accepting, but they still don't want to give you chances. And I think it's just because people aren't used to newcomers in cricket. They're just not used to it. And, um, like you said, that people take it serious. They have to win now. They don't want to give people chances. They're uptight about uh, giving people chances. And especially now in our league where we have relegation and we have promotion and relegation, um, you know, you lose too many games, you're going to get, you're going to get uh, relegated. And, you know, after I left that team and joined a few other teams, it was kind of like everybody just wanted to treat me the same way, which was play me as a fielder and uh, bat me at like, eight or something you know <laughs> and bowl me when no one else <laughs> nobody else shows up so but uh you know so that kind of happens everywhere you go but um that's one of the reasons why i think now at this point i probably want to play hard tennis cricket more than anything else because that is kind of more truly recreational although it's very competitive here and another reason is believe it or not the grounds are kind of nicer because they're played on baseball grounds <laughs> or softball grounds really so like your chances of getting injured are I think a little bit less when you're the type of guy who likes to dive for the ball in the field and things like that but yeah also you know I can't I'm not playing 40 overs of side cricket right now I don't have the time to do that and um all of our grounds for for our hardball cricket are down in Fuquay, which is an hour from my house so, you know, even a T20 game is a, is a six hour ordeal right now. So, yeah, but you know, the, I, I would like communities to be more accepting to newcomers. Uh, that, that would be great. 
or at least leagues to anticipate that sort of thing and encourage that sort of thing and have games or matches with new players. Uh, maybe have like a, a pickup night or something like that, a pickup day where players, because there's plenty of players who aren't picked in their 11 for that week. You know, like if TCL had a pickup game somewhere for players that weren't picked in the 11, you just first 22 to show up, get to play in a team. And then you're limited to, you know, you either get out or you, you face a maximum of 20 balls or something like that. So, you know, something like that would be, would be nice to get newcomers into the game. And that's something that I hope becomes a problem with major league cricket coming with the, the potential Olympics in 2028 with uh 2024 world cup ESPN plus has the, has a lot of cricket on it. Now um, people are getting exposed. John boy has been talking about cricket a lot lately, which you and I have talked about together, how exciting that is. That is super exciting that he's embracing that, um, you know, this sport. So I hope because of people like him, that more and more Americans that are not familiar with the sport, more and more newcomers, I should say, in this country, will want to do things like that, try out the sport. And we'll get a little bit, we'll get, these leagues might be a little bit more, you do have to go out of your way. You do have to go out of your way to make people feel welcome. And now Triangle Cricket League actually has a hard tennis team that's pretty much for newcomers. So they do have that team. So I played with them one season. It was funny because I was playing with them to try to make them people feel more more welcome. And I was yielding yielding my own chances so that newcomers could have a chance. <laughs> so like, I'm like, oh man, now I, you know, I'm still batting seven or eight. <laughs> but it was different. I mean, if you're batting if you're batting seven or eight on a team full of newcomers, you're still coming in around the fifth or sixth over, you know, so you're still gonna get plenty of time chances. But uh but yeah, I mean, leagues are going to have to make make room for, for new players, I think. I hope so. Why wouldn't you want new people to come? I don't understand why so many people guard the game of cricket. And we've talked about this before. This is gatekeeping. Even more annoying to me than people who don't want to give chances to new players is the attitude, we've, we've talked about this, the attitude that cricket is better than all these other sports just because the person who's saying it is a cricket fan. You know, cricket's cricket's way harder than baseball. No, it isn't. Like, like they're both very difficult sports. You know, both of them are hard. But when people are like, "Oh, what's baseball? It's just full tosses all day." Yeah, they called a juicy full toss in cricket because it was an accident. You know, nine out of ten full tosses in cricket aren't on purpose, and the ball isn't swing. You know, if if Jimmy Anderson accidentally bowls you a full toss, it, it, it he didn't bowl. He didn't do something right it's not going to be his perfect delivery that's swinging 12 inches you know it's going to be a mistake and it's flat and it's basically there for you to put it away in baseball everything's a full toss and everything comes with intent when they throw you a full toss it's not an accident <laughs> they, they didn't just give you a bad ball and bats round there's so many reasons baseball is hard how many cricketers in the world can bowl 95 or faster you know, I doubt there's six people in the world who can do it right now. I mean, that's even saying a lot if there's six. But every every major league baseball team has six, it seems like, these days who can throw 95 or faster, or at least three or four. Just because you throw 95 these days does not mean you're even making double-A baseball. Uh, you know, that's – you still have to be good. Uh, not that – I mean, obviously, you have to be great to be a good cricketer too. But my point is – 
both sport, if you're making a million dollars in a sport somewhere in the world, if somebody is making a million dollars doing something in this world, it's a very hard thing to do. So, you know, cricket is super hard. Baseball is super hard. And I hate it when people tell me why cricket is better than baseball. And then they say something immediately afterwards that lets me know they know nothing about baseball. You know, like I had a guy here who was talking to, there were some new players, new people at Church Street Park who were like watching cricket. They were like, wow, what's this? And somebody was explaining to them why it was, oh, it's, it's, you know, similar to baseball, but it's got strategy. And I was like, really? (laughs) Baseball, the sport that famously has no strategy whatsoever. When you say things like that, you clearly don't know anything about I like people that tell me they've tried baseball before, but the ball was thrown too slow and it's way too big and it goes and, it, and it, it's just underhanded. And I'm like, no, that's called soft, slow pitch softball and it's easy on purpose. <laughs> you know, it, so that, that's what bothers me more than anything is when somebody t- tells me or I, I know there are people who don't think I can learn cricket or didn't think I could learn cricket because I played baseball because of how much harder cricket is than baseball in their minds. And that's just all bogus. Like they're all, we're all hard. They're all hard sports. No one's saying cricket's not hard, but baseball is pretty damn hard. I mean, well, there are baseball players in this world who have contracts that are $400 million. You know, if, if, if it was that easy, <laughs> they wouldn't be making $400 million or you and I would be making a million dollars right now, you know? Some of the things you touched on there kind of lead into this this attitude, this insecurity that a, exists in both sports. You know, it, it's not just one race. You're street. right. You've got baseball fans yeah. who similarly go, "Oh, cricket uh, game is for sissies and uh, yeah, this is a gentleman's nonsense, whatever." And yeah, have I wouldn't say a caveman attitude, but, but definitely don't respect it. That's but yeah, again, it's not universal. You have exceptions. Okay, it goes both ways, right? Yep. But I don't know. Maybe you and I witness it more because we're a lot more immersed in the cricket community now than we are in the baseball community. So maybe the, it, it seems like the scales are tilted more towards cricket fans being a bit more cocky and arrogant that way, and in a lot of ways insecure about mm-hmm. other sports threatening them and and this need to like beat your chest and like show how macho and how much better cricket is out of this this desire to like make yourself known and heard um in an american ecosystem in particular where cricket is on the periphery yeah um so uh, some of the words like i said arrogance insecurity another one that comes to mind is condescension yeah yeah have a very very condescending attitude towards the intelligence level of a fan and what they can cannot learn and also to players, right. somebody who's trying to learn the game, what they can and cannot learn as a player. In your experience, yeah. mm-hmm. what do you feel has been tougher to overcome or an experience or types of experiences where it's tested your faith and your desire to maintain your passion for cricket because of <laughs> the way you get treated? Do you find that people are more condescending? And this is not meant to be like a let's beat on cricket session and you know yeah uh, yeah, yeah cricket. right it's just a, a fact this is thing yeah happened with you, uh, you know, i think you find people are more condescending to you or have been more condescending to you whether intentionally or unintentionally when you've been trying to learn to play and and 
I mean that more towards not not necessarily your clubmates. I'm thinking more towards opponents who whether yeah, whether I don't like pledging or or other reasons. To, oh, who does this guy think he is? This baseball former baseball he thinks he can just yeah. walk in and play cricket. Or have you experienced that condescending attitude more just in your day to day fan conversation interactions with people who think, oh, uh, I've got to explain this to Nate because he clearly doesn't know anything about yeah. cricket. Well, sometimes it's it's like I've had a league game before where one guy on the other team asked me as I'm coming into bat. He's, he's he was a pretty cocky dude, and he was like, "You are you Australian?" I'm like, no. He's like, "Where are you from?" I'm like, Maryland, <laughs> which is always a shocker to people. And then he's like, he I hear him turn around and tell people he doesn't know what he's doing, and something says something like that to somebody he doesn't know how to bat. He's like, so they brought in their fastest bowler and he was like yeah he won't be able to he he can't hit this, this speed he can't catch up to this speed and the guy bowled to me and he was quick but it was like i remember thinking none of these guys have ever seen a projectile thrown at them faster than what i've seen uh, i mean I'm, I'm not trying to be correct i'm not trying to be cocky i'm saying yeah i had a hard time batting against the guy that they said i wasn't going to be able to handle but it wasn't because he was fast he was bowling a good length delivery at the fourth stump and and it was quick and it was quick enough to be a problem you know and uh but they also didn't put a slip in and so i wasn't that worried about it <laughs> you know so i was like if they really thought I couldn't handle this guy, why didn't they put a slip in, you know, is what I was thinking. So yeah, you get these arrogant guys that are, they're just doing so sledging. And normally I just tune that out. But I remember this particular time I actually paid attention to what he said. And it was just bothered me that he, he thought I'd never see anything faster than their fastest guy, you know, like, so, I mean, I, yeah, I've played baseball against guys that throw way faster than anything I've seen in cricket so far. That's just because I've only played cr club cricket and stuff. I've never batted against Ali Khan, for example, who would, absolutely knock my socks off there's no doubt about it but but you know what i mean it's 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 like the arrogance of oh you're a baseball player oh yeah so they know they, they the funny thing is they give you loads of respect in the field you know you someone hits the ball anywhere in your vicinity they're not going for two runs you know oh they you sometimes you hear someone yell baseball or something like that and then they'll just be you know whatever i've heard that a couple of times so they respect you in the field but, but when you're batting or, or bowling or something people just don't you know, and I'm not a good cricketer. I know that, but uh, but yeah, it's it's not because someone's going to be too fast for me when I've seen live pitching in baseball that's 90 miles an hour and moving, or whatever. And I couldn't hit that. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. So I think there have been some condescending moments for sure. I don't really understand it more so online than anywhere else in the games. People do tend to respect the fact that you're out there playing cricket with them, even if they think you're new they respect that you're playing and um people are genuinely usually pretty happy to talk to you about things most people are most 90 percent of everybody it's pretty cool but the condescension always happens in online when you're talking about you know this on twitter when a discussion happens about baseball versus cricket or on youtube in the comments section or something and or um i've had people talk about my uh, something i wrote or you know something like that oh you know i've had people be patronizing to me about something i wrote because they just assume i'm just a guy you know for emerging cricket and they'll just assume i don't know what i'm talking about or something like oh you're learning a lot or something like that it's like yeah i am learning a lot you're right but uh, i mean i don't know everything there's absolutely no doubt about that but i, I just hate it when people don't yield i don't like it in general when people don't yield to somebody who might 
probably because of their situation probably does know what they're talking about. You know, if I start talking about the differences between baseball and, and cricket, and, you know, if I start talking to someone about that who hasn't played either baseball or hasn't played cricket, and that person starts to tell me, oh, well, in baseball, in baseball is so much better because this, I'm like, well, I don't really agree with you. And then there's the cricket version of that. Oh, cricket, oh, but cricket's so much better than baseball because, of the, you know, and the, all that stuff is nonsense. It's just insane because well, both think, sports think, are amazing. I think you were the one who told me this is one of my favorite lines that you said um, the biggest baseball experts i know are all cricket <laughs> all cricketers yeah i told you like all cricket fans yeah <laughs> it's true you know i want to have a talk with jimmy for, uh, from john boy because uh, i i messaged him back and forth a few times and he kind of uh hinted at this being a problem in his either probably in his comment section he's like so many he's like people just are proud of how ignorant they are you know he's like he's like the biggest problem is people are just proud of how ignorant they are like they're proud that they don't know about cricket. <laughs> it's like you know, the baseball fans. So yeah. he's seeing it from that that point of view, which, you know, when I talk to my friends about cricket, most of the time they're like, stop talking about cricket because they don't they don't care, you know. But uh, <laughs> like now, obviously, I should specify that when I talk to my non cricket friends, because I have more cricket friends now probably than I have non cricket friends, just because you can't play, you can't get involved in PCL with, with, with a team without making hundred new friends, you know, you, you, our league is big. And uh, yeah. So like I said, there's more people that are happy to talk to you about it and like inclusive, there's more inclusivity here in the online world. It's all ugly. And uh, but yeah, in real life, when it happens, it's even more annoying when you know, the rare time it happens and someone treats you condescendingly because you didn't grow up playing cricket and you must not know what you're talking about. Cricket's you know, not in your blood, Nate. Not in your blood. Yeah, you didn't grow <laughs> up with, you know, oh, you're a base. You know, I. You know, there are some people who, like, just think you can't learn the sport, and that's not, that's just totally nuts. It just, to me, that just shows that that person, you know, this, is, this must be the only sport they've ever played. You know, because you talk to, if you talk to a high-level cricketer, this is a similar thing that I was saying before about the hockey. You talk to Ali Khan or, or Hayden Walsh Jr., you know, or, or Steven Taylor, or, or one of these guys, uh, on Mukt Chand, you talk to, uh, Dane Pete who played six, I think six tests for, for South Africa. You talk to those people about other sports and they love talking about the other sports just as much, you know, they were, you know, they, they admire the, you know, those athletes. I, mean, I think you talked to Hayden about baseball probably before I know I have, and he, he, back when he was playing in this the gt20 he posted pictures of himself at a toronto uh blue jays game on instagram and i messaged back and forth with him and he was like man he's like i think i would have loved playing baseball <laughs> you know i think i would have loved playing this sport and so they those guys appreciate high level athletes of another sport because of course they do it's just the fans get too dug in on their sport being better than everyone else's and they genuinely really feel they don't extend any credit to athletes from another sport you know it's it's just it blows my mind and it's so frustrating because you what difference to, even if even if it's okay let's say it's true you're a cricket fan let's say you're a big cricket fan all you care about is cricket and god comes down from heaven and he lands on a rock and he's the whole world can see him and he says i am god baseball really is better than cricket are you going to like catch on fire and just disintegrate at that moment? 
is that ruining everything for you? There's no way to know what's the best sport. And if something's harder than the other or whatever, who cares? Do you love cricket? Yes. Well, that's good. That's great. That's all that should matter. You know, you love cricket. You like cricket more than baseball. That's totally fine. You can like one sport more than another. But like, I just think it's so stupid that people put so much into, into these type of arguments. And, and I try to be nuanced with people and I try to make them understand that like, look, baseball really is a, no joke. I mean, it's no joke. It's hard. It's, I don't know if it's players are learning are hacking kind of have hacked or have learned the science of how to bring themselves up to a certain level faster than they ever have before. I think that's part of it. Or if it's just, we can analyze, we can look at with the cameras we have and all the tech we have, we can see just how good pitchers are these days because now we have the tunneling. You can see a pitch going, you know, 60% of the way to the plate and all of a sudden one pitch goes this way and the other one goes this way. And how are you going to hit that? So we, we have the tech to see that. I mean, when you look back at Nolan Ryan and all these great pitchers of the of yesteryear, they were incredible no matter where you put them. So I think we've always had really amazing pitchers in baseball and things like that. But the, just to, when I can like actually show you like pitching ninja or something like that, when I can send that to someone and say, this guy just threw a ball 101 miles an hour and it moved nine inches in the last 30 feet, you know, <laughs> or whatever. It's like, if you can't see that and appreciate how unbelievably hard that is to, to, to face, then you're just lying to yourself or you're stupid. You know, it's one or the other. It's, but you understand what I'm saying. It's baseball is amazing. Cricket is amazing. I made an ass of myself on Twitter once because I said fast bowlers couldn't put as much revs on the ball as a pitcher could in baseball. And then uh, I can't remember who it was, but it was, somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. And it, and they said, actually, I'm actually researching this right now. I can't remember who the guy was. He was a cricket writer. And he said, I'm actually looking at this right now. And it's just in actually cricket bowlers can put, I forgot how many rota rotations on a ball. And I was like, Whoa, I didn't think they could do that. You know? So I was wrong, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? both of them are incredibly impressive at, to bowl at the top level in cricket and to pitch at the top level in baseball, you have to be something special. One of the things that you touched on there in, in your point you were making is something I've experienced. And a lot of other people have experienced just this combativeness between the two sets of fans. I was guilty of this at one point in time, cricket's better. This baseball is better. Whatever. And the reason why I shift away from that approach is if you start off with that, Oh, oh well, if you like baseball, cricket's way better than baseball it's a combative yeah. attitude if that's your introductory yeah. line to somebody to try and recruit you've lost the sport you've lost you've yeah. already created a defensive shield between the two yeah. of you, and nobody's going to yeah. want to listen to you that shield right. is up they're going to just everything's going to go over their head in one ear out the other nobody's going to want to listen to you if that's your recruiting pitch whereas i kind of shifted away from that quite quickly and got me into too. a me, mode of me. if you like cricket you'll like baseball or vice versa. Say, right, like vice baseball, versa. Yeah. You will like cricket, or if you love Here's baseball, why you could. Here's why you, you should, should like both of them. They, yeah. they don't have to be mutually exclusive. It's okay to like more than one sport at the same time. Whenever I've taken that approach, people are very receptive. You don't have that wall go up. There's not this right. mentality or this combativeness. And I mm -hmm. wish more people from both sides would, would take that attitude. I think there would be a hell of a lot. Both sports, right. both sets yeah. of arms from each other. And people who have that open mind do.
you, you talk a lot about those things and also just in spite of some of these attitudes, whether it's from the baseball side or the cricket side, you, you still maintain that love for the sport. And one of the right. other words you threw in there was patronizing. I've left that one up with patronizing attitudes. People is talking to you in a very patronizing way when they're trying to introduce cricket or that they think they're trying to introduce cricket to you, even though you've now been involved with the sport for seven plus years. In spite of all those experiences, we're still talking to each other right now. You love cricket. You still stuck with it. Why have you stuck with cricket for seven plus years? What is it about the game that makes you love it so much and so passionate about it that you have continued to be involved in such a significant way rather than saying, you know what, screw this. I've had enough of these people. I, I just want to go back to what I'm not, what's not going to give me a whole lot of stress and angst. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you know, because the good outweighs the bad in the sport, you know, we talked before about some, some of the culture around the cricket in this country is really negative, but, and it really is a lot of, the, because it's kind of just the wild west to a degree in the USA, but because the, the good outweighs the bad. And I think a lot of that has to do with this community you know i see I, I i love church street park i love the the people there are plenty of you've seen the volunteers here where else does does a community like this support cricket in this country you know or pretty much I mean, i'll put it up against any sports volunteer core of any sport in the country the people here uh, are, are a big reason the players are a huge reason the more i learn about cricket the more i think how crazy you have to be to want to be a cricketer like professionally, like how crazy, not crazy, but like you must really love cricket if you're going to pursue it as a profession. You absolutely have to love it for sure. In a nation like this, where we've only had players with national contracts for what, parts of two years, I have an appreciation for how good those players are at the very top rung in this country because I've tried the sport. So I have a really big appreciation for how good those guys are and I have a lot of respect for them because a lot of them have a lot of perseverance. And, and, and you know, I gained a lot of that respect actually reading your book, uh, by the way. You, you really do a good job of showing what, these, what it takes to do what these guys do. And it's not pretty. And so, you know, of course, that's how I got into listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast because they talk a lot about this sort of thing too. But yeah, that's, that's the type of, th I, I like, I, I really like the players. Um, I like the sport. Uh, really, the good outweighs the bad for certain. And, and really, it's because of the people who are involved at the volunteer level here, at the league level here, and uh, the players in general, just the, the high-level players in this country, what they put up with uh, <laughs> that I don't know. I, I, don't, I wouldn't put up with a lot of it for sure. But uh, <laughs> that's, that's probably the, the, the biggest thing that keeps me going knowing that uh yeah this 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 community is just just fantastic for the most part we have our problems absolutely and we've got our snakes you just like everyone else does but uh ultimately to see people pour so much of themselves into something that's really got no reason to give anything back to them doesn't owe them a thing that's pretty impressive it just it's just passion i, I really like to see that that in people for for just about anything but but yeah that's what keeps me stuck with cricket because i mean it's expensive to play i i've got my own i've got not my own team but i'm kind of like the manager i guess of my team and that's that's a pain in the butt it, it's not fun but um i like the guys a lot i get you know i have a lot of friends and it, you know it's just uh 
not really a religious person, but I, you know, I grew up going to church a lot. I grew up in the volunteer fire department, things like that. And this kind of scratches that itch a little bit for me doing stuff like this, uh, the community, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's what, uh, that's what gets, that's what I, I think I like the most about it. There's an awful lot of ground to cover with Nate Hayes and even more ground to cover in part two of the interview with Nate Hayes in the next episode of the podcast. I want to remind everybody to please subscribe both on Patreon and on the podcasting platforms where you can get the latest episodes on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor FM, and many other outlets. But that's it for this episode. I'm Peter Delapena reminding everybody, God bless America and God bless American Cricket. Thank you.